Marvelous Demystifiers. Assemble. <laughs> it's uh, been, what, three months since we did one of these? Pretty awesome yeah, to man. be back Just at it. Time to get Loki with it. Yeah, right. Loki. Loki. So... Funny thing, I decided to uh, just draw a tarot card right before we started. I was like, what would be a card that describes the first episode of the first season of Loki? Because that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We might be here for a while. (laughs) In in classic Marvelous Demystifier style, we often become more convoluted and more granular with each iteration. And we've done 15 of these now. This is number 16. Even it being number 16 has some, I think, some funny significance, too. But I drew the Page of Wands, also sometimes called the Princess of Wands. And 
this card is all about like a a moment of reappraisal of one's skills and abilities and putting those things to use in a new way to like, you know, new frontiers, adventure, that type of thing. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like the iconoclastic living on the edge type energy. So really, I feel like this describes the series maybe more than the episode or the, the Loki characters arc, you know, cause that's, one of the things we're seeing here with this mercurial character is the fact that uh, he's not just a villain. He could be a good guy, too. So, you know, goes both ways in many different ways. Uh, Gabe, what do you want to say before we jump right into it? Because we're going to have to jump right into it. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, buddy. Um, well, uh, the, the page of wands. uh Definitely has that mercurial, you know, the carrying that staff. We had to weave on um, how the bio field is encoding the double serpent staff of Loki or the of Mercury, because bi is two, ophi is serpent, and then the field is like the you know the your aura, and that becomes kind of a the what do they call it the MacGuffin of the film is this uh, aura. Temp, uh, temporal oral, oh, I can't. <laughs> temp oral, temporal, or aura stamp. It's like you're they're trying to capture your louche is basically what I read it as. Um. So yeah, it's just funny that uh, the wands is in play. Also, um, Machiavelli, his only writing was the Prince, and in the Thoth Tarot deck, the Prince station usurped the king station in his uh in his uh royal cards so the, there is no about kings that. yeah there's no kings and he put the prince Didn't know machiavelli had a tarot deck oh no it, machiavelli's only book is called the prince oh it's okay a, okay a, it's his main his main book and it's about how the prince should be uh, in position to be educated, to become the philosopher king, to play the role, to uh, forward the agenda of the kingdom. And so all of the forward investments of, of new enterprises are, uh, are the responsibility of the prince because he's the uh, future investment symbolically. And so uh, that has been on my mind more and more that what Alistair Crowley did by putting the the uh, prince cards basically in the place of the king was Crowley was putting a nod and a wink to Machiavelli. And so that's what comes to mind around these uh, this prince or uh, or I guess the, that which is kind of the is there. A, oh, it's a isn't page? it the knight in the Thoth deck like Knigget's? Rather than kings, knights. Maybe that's <laughs> it. That the knights become the kings. I think so. You know, just for the sake oh, of okay. accuracy. I, I don't even have a thought In there, the, though. I should pull out. I do. I have my. You know, and another thing about that deck will be that Oros, Oros Boros is the symbol on the book that comes with it, and it's also uh, one of the cards. The Oros Boros is. Uh, implicit to the Thoth deck. It's all, it's also the com the card for change 
So what number does he uh, peg that at? It's weird. It's a, it's like a side card. It's card number two. Okay. He, he does that, right? Uh, that, does, that tarot does have some variants. Like there's three magicians. Yes. And isn't that funny? The variants, it's like he's uh, redefining the wheel and reintegrating his own uh, usurpation of the old way. Well, to introduce this show a bit, it is not what you might think if you haven't seen it. I would actually say I recommend it. It has a charm to it in like a sort of campy way. The it doesn't take its whole paradoxical time travel story too seriously. You know, the you just go with it. Uh, it's got good humor, uh, pretty solid acting for one of these things. And it's very, it's very separate from the rest of the Marvel universe in many ways. Like this first episode has a lot of referentiality to the, uh, some of the other movies that Loki has been in. But then after we get into the main plot, it's like very self-contained. It's enjoyable. Heck of a lot better than Secret Invasion. The last one we did, Secret Invasion. There, I just knew I couldn't do more of that. <laughs> it just wasn't a good, just wasn't a good production. I want to at least enjoy what I'm analyzing and not, you know, feel like I'm pulling teeth to get through it. Although I'm realizing now, after I put together the presentation for tonight, it's a lot to bite off uh, to do. You know, we did six episodes of Moon Knight, so we have done it before, but we're possibly going to be getting into all 12 episodes once the second season completes. And the second season just came out. I wanted to (laughs) talk about what Josh says here, that Loki's more of an Omega. He was referencing how Loki isn't just a bad guy. He can serve good as well, or he can do, do good stuff. And in the title, I put Timeline Manipulation and the Gamma. (laughs) and glorious purpose is in the name of the episode. So we actually do find out what the purpose of the gamma male is in the sexual social hierarchy. And, you know, I might actually agree with you, Josh, that he's not necessarily like a gamma, but actually that's how I feel about everyone that is uh, a gamma. It's more of a behavior. It's not like you're trapped in it. And so this, what I like about this series is actually it's the, it's you watch the, Usually, you know, in a hero's journey arc, it's a good guy and he's kind of downtrodden and, you know, doesn't believe in himself and he finds the strength within to rise to the occasion of whatever the challenge is, yada, yada. But this is a story of somebody who's like a straight up conniving, nasty little backstabbing gamma male (laughs) who figures out who he is, realizes his behavior. And why, what he realizes, what's motivating his behavior and he changes. I like that a lot, actually, because you need, you know, we need actually more examples of that, not just these hyper alpha, you know, heroes, because (laughs) the gamma male can change. You know, we need, we need to show them what their behavior looks like and why they're doing their behavior. That's how you heal from traumas. You figure out why you're doing what you're doing. And then the other part of the title, timeline manipulation, I think. That if there was one underarching conspiracy that's being revealed by this show or described by this show, it's the manipulation of historical narratives for societal control. Which is cool because we're just coming off of last Sunday where we talked to Michelle Gibson about that. 
And this show contains a lot of clues or the seeds of like what it, what these timeline control, historical narrative control contains. So uh, let's jump in, man. I'm going to pull up the slideshow. So yeah, <laughs> the glorious purpose, this, this title has uh, of episode one has a lot of meaning to it. First of all, it's his catchphrase in the first Avengers movie when he's doing his villainous behavior. But over the course of this episode, he discovers the immense irony of believing in his glorious purpose um, <laughs> and finding maybe a new purpose. But I'm I'm saying that we're also being winked at the control of the narrative of people's worldview is somebody out there or, you know, some days out there see that as their glorious purpose. Now, in the description of the first episode for Loki, Disney and their app describe it as Kafka-esque. And that just got my hackles right up, Gabe. I, I see the look on your face. Yeah, so, you know, let's just grab a quote from Franz Kafka. Uh, he says, a first sign of the beginning of understanding is the wish to die. <laughs> I know you can't judge a man by just one soundbite quote from him, but like, you know, Kafka, when we say something's Kafka-esque, we're describing something as extremely unpleasant, frightening, and confusing, because that's what his novels are like. He, he, the bureaucracy that he's caught up in in this episode with the TVA is Kafka-esque. The novels of Kafka are nightmarish settings in which characters are crushed by nonsensical blind authority. And so anytime somebody's up against like, you know, the rather the TVA, like maybe the DMV and you're there for an entire day and then you get there and they're like, oh, you have you didn't cross this T properly. So all that time you waited in line is doesn't count, you know. Come back later. Try again. <laughs> the bizarre and impersonal administration said situations where you you feel powerless and whoever the robot behind the counter is just refuses to understand or take any, uh, you know, charge of what's happening. And they're just the way that going by the book can lead us to dehumanized experiences. So Kafka, obviously very nihilist, he describes the human condition as absurd, and he believed that the entirety of the human race was the product of one of God's bad days. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it's like meaningless. Say, uh, when you call it, like Kafka's philosophy is one of there's really no absolute meaning to make sense of our lives. And uh, that, you know, that actually all of this is kind of contained in this first episode. And it's so it's worth bringing up Kafka. I will probably bring him up again as we go. Yeah, man. You know, on the uh, glorious purpose, I've recently learned that Cleo the muse of history, her name Cleo also means glory. And that she's the keeper of the story or the keeper of history, the muse of the written word. And so 
I just think it's fascinating now that when I hear the word glory, I'll actually think more about the way that history will shine upon a character. Uh, in that if a person like has well-developed and a uh, highly acclaimed character, you know, uh, generally, uh, you know, a person, and that's, I'm speaking of the fictional person, you know? Yeah, that's what, have to have, in all the characters yeah. in like the Iliad, the Siege of Troy, what's Achilles fighting for? He's fighting for his Kleos or Kleos, which is the way he's going to be remembered. That was yes. basically, you know, not just Greek culture, but the Norse as well. There's this idea that that's the only way for, to, for immortality is through how, if you are remembered long enough, then you are immortal. But the point where nobody remembers your name or what you did is when you cease to exist. Right. And now I'm thinking of this, it's filling in so many things that I thought I understood before, like, Heraclitus, his name means the glory to Hera. And I thought it was like, oh, he has like a lot. His hair is amazing and like impactful. But it also almost kind of means that he has a glow of wisdom about him. And if you were to ask him any questions, he would his answers would be in praise of a lineage of wisdom that goes back to Hera. And so there's Heracles is the same type of name. Right. Yes. And ironically, she fucks with him more than anybody. Yes, yes. But the the, way that she fucks with him, getting him to like kill his own family, Hercules, uh, he's remembered for it. So (laughs) there's some chaos to it. There is something really fascinating about the glow, the impactfulness of their character, both as a, you know, as a wise one, influential one, but also as, um, as a cosmic body, as a heavenly uh, uh, constellation, very likely. Uh, and, and also, I'm still working on memorizing the, uh, the meteor shower cycle. There are 19 annual meteor showers. And if you think about it, I'm beginning to believe that these meteor showers are like the limelight, illuminating a certain segment of the night, of the night sky to bring our attention into these ceremonies Right now, October 20th through the 23rd, there is a meteor shower just off the elbow of Orion, like where Orion has his arm lifted up because he's because he's in the club and he's about to club somebody with the club. Well, just off the elbow, there's a huge meteor shower going these next few days. And sure enough, on the world stage, everybody's rattling sabers. So that's just kind of on my mind as these agendas roll out. Uh, The night sky has correspondence to some of the events in the film. Good stuff, man. We'll keep that on our radar. Definitely the we're seeing it in real time, the control of a historical narrative in terms of the, you know, what's going on in (laughs) the land of Gaza. That's probably like as soon as you say that, the AI is like, Who said that? (laughs) We got to control this. Okay, so bringing up the slides again, uh, we're going to, oops, we're going to, yeah, we're going to go through a play-by-play of the episode as we often do. So Gabe, I'll probably just roll through it until the point where you want to interject, in which case just speak up or raise your hand or whatever, because we do have 
th- this show is so jam packed, like other Marvel shows. Maybe you can demystify a half of it or two thirds of it. But then there's usually like just action scenes that are more or less relatively devoid of symbolism. Right. It's just the sort of the, the filler of the action and the fighting. Not so much in this episode. It's pretty much symbolically meaningful all the way through. So the very opening shot, we have to guess, like with every one of these things, the establishing shot, the very first thing you see is extremely important. (laughs) Uh, Some like Moon Knight, that was the case. We talked about it for ages. But what I want to say about the opening shot here is we're looking at New York City. It's said to be the year 2012. So we're backpedaling to the year that the first Avengers movie comes out. So context to the series, they just got attacked by aliens that Loki let into the let into Earth, you know, yada, yada, yada. But we're seeing the Empire State Building next to Avengers Tower here. Not to mention the whole end of the world meme that 2012 carries with it, even to this day. So. We have to think about in the context of controlling history, controlling the controlling the timeline that we're being told or we can observe how and it's obvious how important 9-11 with two with two towers in New York and smoke and rubble and fire has to do with changing history or controlling a historical narrative or justifying other or justifying future narratives. One thing that we don't consider when we talk about historical narratives is that in a way, you know, history being his story, future events are pre-written as if they are a story. Like I've joked before, but uh, you know, what if the big Hollywood writer's strike was so that they could write some believable fiction to deliver for the story of what the war going on right now is (laughs) very, you know what I mean? (laughs) Pre-written history is pre-written. That's another big theme of this show is the determinism versus free will question. So I also, you know, in terms of secret history or occulted history, it's interesting how the Empire State Building has a lot of secrets about it, that it has a secret 103rd floor, which is kind of like the 13th floor of skyscrapers is often missing. Well, apparently so is the uh, 103rd floor is sort of secret to the Empire State Building, and it was the place where the allegedly uh, airships and dirigibles would dock. But the Empire State Building, I just find interesting as a subject. We won't linger on it, but it has its own freaking zip code. (laughs) It's it's huge. (laughs) Um, The other thing that happens in this shot is the numbers here for 2012. They're like quickly flipping through a bunch of numbers before it land, like, you know, like a roulette before it lands on 2012. And actually, there's a moment, the very first numbers that show up are 2025. It's 2025, and then it rewinds back to 2012. So I don't know what we're being told about 2025, but I just want to put that on the radar, you know? That, uh, let's see, that's 13 years backwards. Oh, yeah, 13. Yeah. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of uh, death card um, symbolism going forward because we're moving through Libra and into Scorpio coming up for the next month. 
Uh, so 13 is the death card. So that's on my mind. 2025, there is a lunar standstill. Uh, it's going to come to a full completion that uh, I think it completes the, uh, the lunar standstills that correspond to the curse of Tent Squatawa from the uh, Battle of Tippecanoe, which was the first slogan. Uh, uh, Tyler II and Tip, Tippecanoe and Tyler II is the first slogan ever of all the presidential lines that word Tippecanoe has a curse on it. And so there's a full return, Pluto's return cycle uh, going back through this, uh, through the presidential, uh, yeah, they call it the zero year curse or the 20 year curse. So that's kind of neat. Um, also, 2025 is 15 squared. Uh, 15 times 15 is 225. I'm pretty sure. Is that right? Maybe it's 2025. Um, uh, 15 times 15. I got a calculator. It's 225, but it's got, you know. Oh, 225. In Gematria, you drop the zeros, right? 225. So the 225 is uh, Venus's orbit. The word Venus, V is a 22, E is a 5. NUS is the word sun in reverse. So the word Venus encodes her own orbit around the N-U-S-S-U-N. And so uh, 225 is a Venusian number. And I think they're going to make a big deal. The Pythagoreans are going to make a big deal about the year 2025 uh, because it's a Pythagorean Mm -hmm. number. Uh, So that is interesting. They flashed it right before they clicked into this into this this number. The other number really relevant to Venus is the 40. And, you know... (laughs) Yes. Paragliders decapitating 40 babies. (laughs) And the fact that, you know, the 40 in Venus is about the gestation cycle of 40 weeks. And, you know, I think these numbers are specifically chosen. Totally. Yeah. 40 days is also her retrograde. She has a 40 day retrograde period. So that's this is veneration. They are venerating the rational proportion of Venus's movements uh they love her dance they got a big thing for venus they also they say she has the most perfect of orbits with no it's 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 finely balanced uh but yeah okay i'm gonna i'm gonna get pick up the pace i'm looking at the time i'm like okay we're gonna be here all night (laughs) having fun all night so then we get to the shot I i wanted to put smoke and mirrors on the table with all the opening scene there's smoke from all the buildings, but there's also mirrors on all the buildings. So when oh. we see smoky, yeah, when we see smoky skyscraper scenes, we're also seeing the ingredients of magic, smoke and mirrors. Well, that's really important because one of the themes of Loki as a character and of the series is that, you know, things aren't what they seem and illusion. And one of the things in this episode we're going to get to is how, like, what's the purpose of all this illusion? So we get into the top of the tower. Hulk just, you know, ragdolled Loki, <laughs> grabbed him by the ankles and smashed him and left and right. Uh, Loki's captured. This is back from Avengers in 2012. Uh, then, you know, I found this a little, you know, if we're in the context of 9-11, I found this. <laughs> we got to consider how like 
America is being mocked or the search and rescue for the 9-11 casualties. He's mocking Captain America, transforms into him and does like a robotic on my way down to coordinate search and rescue. So there's like a there's a cult mockery there. Then Loki gets the gag, the mask. The purpose of the mask is really to gag you, not to protect you. Right. We know that. Uh, Then we get the flash of the Tesseract, which is what that movie, the Avengers number one was all about. That's the MacGuffin of the movie. Got to bring up again how that movie establishes the Project Pegasus as the secret government program where they're working on the Tesseract. The Tesseract is the cube. It's the Pegasus square in the astronomy or astrotheology. So, you know, this MacGuffin right here, this briefcase, (laughs) this blue cube to me is very significant anytime it enters the conversation with Marvel because they that's the one thing that tipped the hand more than anything that brought me over to the side of thinking the symbolism in this stuff is somewhere somehow intentional and you know known on the mythological and astrotheological side because they call the cube project pegasus and that's the that's the cube in the sky you know, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, totally. And uh, I associate Pegasus with the tower uh, myself. I put a, I put the tower and the star card in Aquarius and Pegasus is such a long constellation and it bridges over almost three months worth of space that it just make and it has the perfect rectangle, which is the building block of a tower is nice right angles that you can write all the stories on. So when they want to go back in time to rewrite things, of course they have to go to the four cornered Pegasus square that, uh, you know, our, our guy McHugh, uh, McHugh has co- corresponded that with the stellar tableau. He's coming back um, soon from Mesopotamia. I'm so excited for that. Yeah. And I just love that his discoveries keep giving. They have, they have repeatable, predictable outcomes uh, and so, yeah, it just makes perfect sense. They have to come back to the Pegasus Square to rewrite history. And there's the glory again. Glory being actually the story. So they get in the elevator. Lots of Loki in an elevator in this series. We'll have to consider the symbolism of the elevator at some point. I didn't really work it into the, the my notes, but it's on my mind, right? I think it'll... We'll probably suss it out as we continue with the project. He waves at the Hulk when he's getting in the elevator, the which is his trickster moment because that snarky wave is what triggers the Hulk to bust through the door downstairs and knock the Tesseract out of time traveling Avengers Endgame, Tony Stark's hands, and to the feet of this version of Loki. So we're getting that establishment of the trickster archetype Another thing I noticed that pay attention for it's very subtle, but I, and I don't know what to make of it is that his eye color is sometimes blue, sometimes hazel, sometimes kind of a muted green. So there's a a very bizarre phenomenon going on with his eyes, sometimes even like darker hazel. And I don't know if it's just the color grading or probably just the color grading. If I honestly had to, if I had to make a realistic guess, but to me, that color, eye color shifting is like, I don't know where I heard this, but I feel like I heard somewhere that that is a trait of a watcher. 
like one of the watchers, like the, you know, <laughs> the biblical watchers, the alien overlords of the realm or whatever you want to call it. So that that might be in the mix. Just want to put that out there. He grabs the. Oh, man, <laughs> he grabs the cube. Right. And this entire story is being kicked off by the time travel heist that the Avengers do in Endgame. So, of course, when I think about going back and changing the past and the weird consequences that, you know, branch out from that, you got to think of the Philadelphia experiment, right? The Philadelphia experiment, allegedly the USS Eldridge in, I don't remember what year, 40s sometime, gets some machine activated that is ostensibly about turning it invisible. It disappears for a little bit. And when it reappears, the crew is all fused into the bulkhead and, you know, in a very <laughs> Kafka-esque <laughs> experience. So totally. I go and look up, I go and look at the Philadelphia experiment, uh, you know, just to refresh my mind about what some of the debunking towards it is and all that. And I wind up on the wiki for the USS Eldridge, the ship that was allegedly used in the experiment. And that wiki page for the USS Eldridge literally contains a reference to episode five of the Loki TV show. And I was like, well, okay. Wow. <laughs> so we'll get to that wow. later, but it's like the breadcrumbs are, are totally there, dude. The breadcrumbs are there. Yeah, man. What? So, okay. So since he's enchained right now, he is correspondent to uh, Andromeda. She is in the hostage position. She's literally enchained with her head infused into the Pegasus Square. And so he's fulfilling Andromeda perfectly. Of course, the square, uh, he gains the square because he's the one in chains right there. Um, and then another thing about Eldritch, I never thought of this till you mentioned it, but the definition of the word Eldritch is horrible, terrifying, traumatizing to think about. And so the things that happened to the guys on that ship fulfilled the name of the ship itself oh man that makes it sound very much like a sci-fi not true story don't ruin this for me right well <laughs> yeah well it's the it's it's the same thing that um okay so the eldritch you're right though plan, it's, an El it's an eldritch thing strange and unnatural un inspiring yes. fear. and this corresponds to the eldritch plan that started the uh the central banking and also corresponds with the monster from Jekyll Island. And I think all of these uh, horror stories carrying the same label with consistency throughout, I think they're building up. Um, uh, it, I think it all lends to Leviathan. Uh, Leviathan is a book written by Thomas Hobbes about the social contract and you have to keep the people afraid of some monster out in the wilderness so that they come to the king for safety. So they look for uh, uh, collectivism. As, uh, right. The, as, as what the, you're saying is important. You're, you're talking about how the point, the point of controlling the narrative, whatever the narrative is, is so people 
can know who the bad guy is so they can stay in at least some modicum of victim consciousness. Because if you accept any level of victim consciousness, then things can be done to you even by someone else than who you think is the one doing it to you. So I want to offer as a possibility that why we're being told about why, why we're getting these links to the Philadelphia experiment. And, you know, you just brought up Jekyll Island and the uh, mythical founding of the federal reserve. Uh, in, In my opinion, that story about the founding of the federal reserve on Jekyll Island might not be true. And it might be just like with the Philadelphia experiment and most people's take on it being that the they have time travel devices and, you know, the large Hadron colliders are altering Mandela reality, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, like there's this thing about conspiracy culture that is highly overlooked uh, regarding controlled awakenings that you wake up from one uh, false narrative and there's another one, another layer waiting for you. You unplug from the matrix and then you get taken to Zion to play out the same battle in a different level of existence. Right. So that's, I feel like that's totally on the table that they're pointing to the Philadelphia experiment as like a wink, wink that, Hey, this is just another false history narrative for you to believe after you start disbelieving the one that the normies believe. Right. And you know, it does because it does all uh, point to government has the suicide switch. They can flip, they can one button, they just push one. Okay. Maybe we need two guys to turn the key at the same time, but then it's just one button and we'll just turn everything to ashes. We'll turn this car around and take everybody home. <laughs> um, but the consistency in the sky map is really what fascinates me because, again, Leviathan is the same sea monster every time we're over in the springtime. So we're going past the sea monster of Cetus. Is that? Yeah, Cetus is the sea monster as we go through the springtime. And uh, Cepheus is the emperor there so you know i can i'm actually seeing a skyscape as we build out the uh the scenery of the movie i can actually see that this is a uh, totally pegasus going through the springtime because we're in the beginning of the film right so uh this is the new energy that we're seeding the ideas for a great reset of the storytelling so yeah we're going right past uh cetus as well so then uh, we get taken to a shot. Loki disappears. Poof. Puff of smoke. And then we get taken to this really extreme close up of a water droplet. And uh, the only thing that I, I took from this is the possibility that we're being shown the flat earth and the firmament. And the reason it's upside down is I've been kicking around this possibility lately that Earth is a twin. Our our realm is like a twin system, just like the placenta has a front side and a back side, you know, two sides of the same coin. And there's this little detail that nags at me all the time about how at least we're told that the image that our eyes are receiving from the light of our environment gets flipped upside down by the brain to give us the right side up view. 
and that everything that we're doing is actually upside down. Like we're in the upside down realm. <laughs> so when I see this little picture, I'm like, is that what we're being told about? And then uh, a bug, this little bug crawls into it. And after this shot, we actually see the bug crawling across the sand. So, you know, I had to figure out what the heck it, what kind of bug it is. Turns out the best I can tell from searching it by description and picking what looks most like it is that it's a blister beetle. And the blister beetle contains a substance called cantharidin. And they take that substance from it to make the aphrodisiac Spanish fly. <laughs> I know I got your hackles up. So we're basically being signaled to get in the mood. You know, <laughs> this is a Spanish fly. And to me, that makes sense because we're setting Loki up as the savior archetype as the Mercury figure is the savior archetype. And the role of the savior archetype is the attraction between the, the two poles, the, you know, the spark between the masculine and feminine generative power. So the savior Mercury figure is Eros or the erotic force. I think that's why we're being shown the beetle open to other interpretations. <laughs> we'll see. But then we get the zoom out and we're in the Gobi desert in Mongolia. <laughs> First thing I've thought about the Gobi desert is that, you know, it gets really hot and really cold. It goes both ways. <laughs> <laughs> mercurial right um but then i had to think about in the gobi desert some in, you know i wanted to bring some interesting things about that part of the world because that is a key segment of the silk road and the silk road is the east to west synthesis of the old world the silk road is like the cross you know and this idea of the cross or the tav is very important to this series we'll talk about it more but from the Silk Road, the, the metaphorical multiverse of the old civilizations of the uh, Earth, you know, is where that multiverse was opened up by the melting pot of of the Silk Road. The well, here we have uh, Mario would like this the deity of the pole star, uh, the guide for travelers. You know, you have. Uh, this thing called the Gandaran head. It's a fusion of Greek and Oriental styles. These are things found around uh, cities of the Silk Road. It's the main communications and trade link between the East and West. The influences of the people that were crossing the Silk Road were huge because they carried not only their goods, but also stories and culture. So basically... In the Silk Road, you had Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, Christianity. All these things were flowing across the Silk Road and fusing and melting together to form the amalgamations of the modern religions. Uh, and in the this is from the Magau Caves and the Silk Road, a where uh, there's a lot of Buddhist temples, and you have these apsaras from a Buddhist temple or cave, uh, these winged deities who are angelic musicians. I feel like this is very muse, you know, in the muse territory, Jin territory, siren territory. Very interesting. Just, you know, this is interesting stuff. I wanted to just show for the sake of fascination, maybe not super relevant to the show other than like, this is what comes to mind for me 
when I see that we're in the Gobi Desert, I'm seeing because hopefully we're all catching the point I'm making here is that this Silk Road is the, <laughs> the you know, this is where the old timeline manipulation or historical narratives were, you know, past, present and future were being written and, you know, is the main pipeline for all that for a very long time. Yeah, man. Uh, this, that, this, uh, image with all the, uh, the swaying ribbons and the bands of color has a strong, uh, death card kind of feel to me from the Thoth deck in particular, the way that the blues are kind of swirling and smoke. Uh, but again, with, uh, Pegasus, we're in the air element, uh, and it's also, uh, 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 because of the, uh, the, the condensation and that drip from the opening scene, that's another aspect of, uh, uh, Pegasus is, you know, he's, a he, he is, he's like off gassing. He's some sort of, uh, he's a, he's a ghost. He's like the ghost of the, of the child that Medusa never had, uh, yeah, this is pretty trippy, but this looks very much like what the death card is doing when he's swishing his sickle. He's kind of uh, almost playing with the fumes of smoke. So we see Loki fly through a portal in the air like a meteor falling, lands on the sand, and he's in this crucifixion pose with one bent knee. So it's also the hanged man pose. So you brought up the death card. That's also, you know, that's a scorpionic energy as is the hanged man. I think that we're definitely seeing the hanged man pose right here. And you know what else? Am I imagining it or is he given very clear bootstraps? Is he going to have to pick himself up by the bootstraps? Is that what we're being <laughs> depicted here? That's, that's a bootstrap, uh, yeah, there is, isn't it? I think you could be on something with that. I mean, he basically zeros out as anybody that starts acting like a gamma is inevitably going to do zeros out <laughs> has to rebuild himself with zero equity in a new job. <laughs> uh, he gets up and then as he's sitting up his head, it perfectly aligns with the sun. Definitely solidifying in my opinion, the whole son of God symbolism of how he was laying in the previous slide. Right. And it's also a uh, glory he's burdened with uh glory again. glorious purpose oh yeah the the halo oh, that's in the old paintings around the head was called the gloriole the glory hole <laughs> the gloriole good catch yeah this is the glorious purpose <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> you know uh S steve martin in the jerk he uh he has a running joke in that movie about how his mama told him he has a he has to take care of his special purpose in this world. They're like, what's your special purpose? And he's like, oh, here, I'll show you. And it turns out that's it's also his what dick. his mom called his. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> special purpose and glorious purpose and glory hole. Uh, I think they're weaving jokes in very fun ways. Oh, it's been forever since I saw the jerk. Okay, so then some Mongolians show up. I don't have a slide of them, I don't think, but. Some locals in the desert show up and he immediately leaps to his feet and jumps on a rock to, you know, get the high ground 
And then he says his whole bit about like, I am Loki of Asgard and I am burdened with glorious purpose. But also the symbolism of the rock, he's jumping up on the rock, that's symbolic of the Lord. You know, the rock, sir, T-Y-R-E, the, <laughs> their rock is not as our rock. Definitely think that's, he's about, I think that's why he's jumped on the rock. Sermon you know, on the, the Mount. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then the T T A V shows up time or sorry, T V A my bad Tav T V A. They show up, you know, through their whole time tunnel, quantum leap, <laughs> rectangle portal, very specific type of uh, sci-fi imagery with them. Uh, I'm going to keep moving. The character B15 is introduced and she says the branch is growing at a stable rate and slope. So now we've got the idea of branches coming into the picture. We'll have to put Let's put a pin in that and get back to the whole tree symbolism thing at a different point. Then Loki basically like threatens them and is going to jump them. Uh, and she just bitch slaps him with her time stick. And he gets slowed down to one sixteenth speed. Very specific. I think the 16th. Uh, because in the old 16 letter alphabets, like the Celtic Irish alphabet, the, the 16 letters that Cadmus supposedly brought to the Greeks. The sixteenth letter was Tav, T, or Tau. So I I don't know if that's just coincidental because you know when you're doing fractions, one sixteenth is a good good fraction to go with maybe. But I found that interesting because the the letter Tav or Tau is super important to this whole symbolism of this show. So he gets bitch slapped. He's in slow motion. His gums are flapping. His cheeks are flapping, you know, kind of making fun of the fact that he's always running his mouth and nothing's happening. Then another thing to point out is that this actress. I don't remember her name. She has a really weird name who plays the character B-15. Her she's in the uh, show Black Mirror. And the episode of Black Mirror that she's in. She is actually torturing a guy using time dilation. So here's Loki being, you know, ridiculed and tormented, you know, in slow motion, feeling pain in a drawn out way through time dilation. So we have the same actress doing time dilation torture in two different shows. What to make of that? Yeah. In this day and age, uh, I think that's done. well, we could call that cross-pollinating, couldn't we? When they have an actor playing one role, it's and it's very similar to this role. Well, in like the language of film, they call it typecasting. Yeah, yeah. But this is more specific like than that. This is like a specific. This is more specific because it's like torturing somebody with time dilation is a very narrow, unique. <laughs> rare thing that would ever happen in a in cinema totally totally in the uh the the this uh hailing to the 16 is a tower card again and much like you mentioned at the tav um 
but as well, tower is a phonetic anagram for water. Being in the desert is, uh, you know, uh, almost as an anode cathode to to tower to water. Uh, yeah, and tower is is now the trigger word for you know all of conspiracy culture. You can't. Oh, nice weave. Wow, power weave, Jen. Yeah, wifey says 80, which is mercury on the atomic or periodic table, is 16 or 80 divided by 16 is five. I got to also point out that Jennifer helped me with (laughs) uh, this research. (laughs) You know, she sat with me while I trudged through the shot by shot and she pointed out some great stuff, provided me with some auxiliary images and all that. So thank you for that. It's really fun to have your wife and best friend in the chair next to you while you're doing your weaving. (laughs) Thank you for that. Now, moving on, he falls and wouldn't you know it, he lands in the identical pose as he was in when he landed in the desert. He's in the hanged man position or the crucified T-shape cross shape. So in case you guys thought we were oh, <laughs> seeing un- seeing irrelevant things and making a detail out of them, like why is he in the exact identical pose? Let me back it up. Okay, so his hands are spread, but the knee is bent, arms are spread-eagled, and arms are spread-eagled, knee is bent. It's the same. <laughs> it's the same exact pose. So obvious that it is... You know, every little detail does carry meaning if you need it convincing. And I'm going to keep moving. Uh, So she says, reset the timeline. They cuff him and they take him through the time portal and they leave some strange device behind. Guess what? Spoiler alert. (laughs) They are resetting the timeline, meaning they're destroying this timeline where the alternate thing happened. Uh, So the great reset is definitely in the mix with this show. They're letting you know that reset points are where a new narrative is introduced or the old narrative is propped up and, you know, alternative ideas are eliminated or destroyed. We'll have to definitely talk more about the pruning of timelines and, and branches as we go. But, you know, the word reset is reset the timeline Michelle Gibson would be flipping her wig about this if she knew that this was out there in pop culture. (laughs) Uh, You know, I got to point out the TVA, their logo is, you know, the T is, is uh, off can't off of this image, but the V in the A is, it's a kind of, it's like telling you all directions all at once, you know, it's double, uh, equilateral triangles so it could be pointing in all possible directions like one is up one is down one is to the angle to the side one is northeast one is uh southwest you know uh it's a very um it's mixed messaging i think that's the that's the point these mixed messaging to uh kind of proliferate almost weaponized doubt to put you in stun so it's like telling you everything everywhere all at once 
I think that's kind of the new uh, psychological operation is just see doubt by telling them do everything now, yesterday. <laughs> okay. Then Loki is taken to the TVA. Sorry if some of these slides are a little dark. I figured out how to brighten them up in PowerPoint, but I was like pretty late in the game. I didn't go back and <laughs> fix all of them. Uh, let's see. What did my notes say? Oh, yeah, it's too dark to tell, but maybe I maybe I can alter it in real time. Let me see here. The guy on the left is. Oh, dude, I can fix it in real time. Wow. That's what's up. We got a scroll. So that is a reference to the secret invasion plot that we haven't done yet. Just thought that was interesting. You know, the variant scroll uh, reptilians, fun times. <laughs> Braden, good point. Because uh, Jenny mentioned that the uniforms were very Nazi-esque, which is 100% true. Braden's like time traveling Nazis, tail as old as, well, time. <laughs> Yeah, and I, it's one of those things where I'm like, is this a controlled awakening type of narrative to believe that the Nazis are time traveling and secretly controlling everything from Antarctica, yada, yada, yada? I don't know, because to me, you you said it perfectly. What I don't remember exactly how you said it, but you pretty much described like the apparatus of statism requires the boogeyman to always be present and... You know, that's in the playbook of communism as well. The victim class, the perpetrator class, you got to keep that cycle going. Master slave psychology. It's the in your biofield, for example. If you are feeling like a master above somebody else or a slave below somebody else, usually for people with one, they have both. Your crown chakra gets blocked up by that, which means your intuition and your connection to source, your sense of positive synchronicity all gets corrupted. So when people are, what I'm saying here is that literally being too far into victim consciousness and slave mentality or overlord mentality, manager mentality will block your ability to be in the flow of, of healthy synchronicity, positive synchronicity. I think in my experience, <laughs> then we see, uh, again, this is very dark. Probably not important to <laughs> to uh, brighten it up. But there's this guy back here who's getting arrested by the TVA. And he says his dad's on the board of Goldman Sachs. <laughs> and it uh, definitely looks like, uh, you know, that he sometimes wears a tiny hat. Uh, then Loki gets taken to a room with this very creepy smiling four-armed robot who flashy sticks him essentially, <laughs> you know, his old, old identity getting basically wiped away. Uh, he doesn't actually get amnesia wow. from the flashy stick, but to me, this was reminiscent of the flashy stick. Don't you think? Yes. And, and his old else? identity is removed. It's maybe not memory, but his clothing gets deleted. So that's kind of symbolic of his old self, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. Now, Okay, he's in the realm of forms. The realm of forms is bureaucracy. Four arms. And here is a machine with four arms. 
uh, in Black's Law Dictionary, the definition of forms, one definition is a skeleton. And so when you give life to their forms, you're li literally giving life to a graven image. When you're filling out their forms, then you're giving them uh, a, a voodoo doll that they can address you by. They can break down for the for the kids in the back. Please break down yeah. the realm of forms for like yes. it's, what it's, you just said is actually 100% accurate. But like break that down in context to what the TVA is. Yes. So. Uh, yes, in bureaucracy, uh, the realm of forms, when you're filling out the forms that they give you. You are bringing the spirit. You're animating a voodoo doll, a two-dimensional voodoo doll that they can address you through. And this is how they can interface with you. <laughs> and that's why it's a mask. It's interface. You enter your face into a mask so you can perform in the fiction, in the realm of fiction. That's why uh, false, all these words relating to false identity have hood, like personhood. Yes. Yep, and this is false energy appearing real. Yes, this is the the fear, F-E-A-R, false energy appearing real. All of these things are in um, are relate to the number six in a major way. Uh, in the Enneagram, I'm realizing part of me on my own project, I've actually done entire Slick Dissident episodes that I had to cancel because I was dogging on the six personality type so hard. <laughs> And I'm in two worlds because on one side, I'm actually, uh, my own bias is coming through, like my own uh, shadow in my own six position. And I'm looking at my own material. I'm like, I'm talking to myself. I'm, I'm lecturing my six personality type. So I'm projecting onto my project, projecting in the project. So I had to cancel some of that. And I had to be like, I got to be as neutral as I can. But also, collectively, the number six is problematic with social engineering. If they can corner over 50% of people's mentality into one personality type, then democracy is out the window because everybody is of the same collectivist mentality. So while I am kind of yelling at myself. Well, it's just my funny because uh, we call it six, but another way of saying it is hex. It's hex. Yes, the hex it is. of the six, man. You know, Lou brought this up. They are the say yes, says, say yes. They are very prone to just saying yes, especially if it seems e easier. If there's a, if just going along to get along is uh, the way that what everybody else is doing, it's a downhill decision, really. And to go against that generates a lot of fear, a lot of natural friction. So, the, so uh, okay, yeah. So people who have the number six position are very uh, compliant. They're very uh, agreeable, malleable. They want to just uh, do whatever they're told. They're, they're yes sayers. Uh, and fear is, their, is what they respond to the most. They're the most receptive to uh, just sca uh, being scared at all. So yeah, the realm of forms. Okay, here's another thing and about the realm. You know of what's forms. in? There's a the Greeks had a name for the Egyptian city of Sa that they called Sais or Sais, Sais, 
like what you just said, Sayas, Sayas, and this was where the temple of Temple of Sayas was, where the uh, goddess Neith or Neth or Net was worshipped. That word means wisdom. It's the same as the word ten backwards or uh, like Tinia or the uh, the Chinese all being super God, heavenly father uh, called, uh, gosh, what are the, Chi- what's the Chinese one called? It's basically the same. It's like 10, 10, <laughs> tinia. Wow. All of the above. So when you put it backwards though, it's Neth or Neith and that's in say yes. <laughs> so the, but what is so important here is the fact that you just pointed out the realm of forearms, the realm of forms, because the TVA is like the nexus between realities, essentially. If there was like the idea of a spirit world that you could actually go to or an astral plane that you could teleport to physically and then from there have access to anywhere in time and space, it would be like, you know, the loading room of the Matrix, that type of idea. That's what the TVA is. And the realm of forms, platonically speaking, is like the perfect idea of a thing that is unchanging and eternal, whereas in time, in the temporal, that thing has a unique expression, but it's imperfect. Like, you know, I always use chair as the example, but the idea of a chair in your mind is perfect and it contains every chair that ever existed, whereas the chair that you're sitting in is just one version of a chair. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's in the mix. Um, man, it's definitely the realm it, of four arms. It is. One other, one other example of this is like, a, uh, when the Catholic church invented purgatory, they thereby created a ledger upon which if you don't follow their orders, even after you're dead, they can come back and put little hexes next to your name. Like he was extra poo-poo, bad boy, worse than anybody else, excommunicate, put a lightning bolt on his soul and blow out a candle, and we no longer acknowledge his existence. So they literally are threatening to erase you from the history books and maybe not just erase you, but put like poopy emojis on your name. You know, that's, that is still going on today. They still do this stuff today. Uh, that's what the, you know, the court is all about. You know, you take a plea bargain and they're like, we could make this all go away. Uh, if you think of that, uh, the scene where Agent Smith and Neo are in that room for the first time before they make his mouth disappear, they're literally telling you, like, we control the written narrative. And you could be dead and gone, and we could turn you into a hero, even though we killed you tonight. Or we could make you into the worst possible sex criminal imaginable if you just do what we say. So as long as they control that written word, you know, then you're in their realm of forms. So they, if they control all these high ideals, then it doesn't matter what really happens. They control the way it's uh, portrayed in the public, uh, whatever, in the news, so to say. I should probably make this one a little brighter. So give me just a sec. I'm going to do that. This is so important. So you get a quick shot of the floor as a trap door opens up below his feet. And tell me, the trap door, what shape are the tiles of that floor? 
trapezoidal you should have known <laughs> should have known <laughs> so uh, i know that uh, the trapezoid isn't uh, i'm not trying to say that it, oh watch out for trapezoids this is an evil symbol because no shape no number is in its own on its own evil but it can be used to sometimes signify things that are symbolize things that are you know not so great i just want to point out yes. the in my opinion, the most famous occult re in recent history that, you know, Disney writers and or Disney producers might be connected to the usage of the trapezoid would be with Michael Aquino, the founder of the Temple of Set or basically bring Satanism openly to the United States military. He had a, a what he considered a chivalric order of knights. That was a Setian group or satanic group called the Order of the Trapezoid. So there's that, you know, tra the trapezoid has um, I've heard <laughs> I've heard lots of things about what it might symbolize that, you know, to the negative. But there's you can look at it two ways. You can look at it like the pyramid without the capstone. Yeah, that's a third way. Actually, absolutely. You could look at it though like a shape that symbolizes stability and strength, or you could look at it as something referencing imbalance. There's that. So, you know, we're thinking, we're definitely supposed to think about the trapezoid. If we're shown trapezoids on the floor with a trap door, it's a trap. <laughs> There's something up totally. with that. Um, so, uh, the realm of. Well, I think you're being basically Francis. shown that, like, when you uh, enter into the, the, the bureaucratic realm, that you're being ensnared. You know, signing the form, identifying as the name, all of that is uh, is the trap because he com comes right. into this room. He drops down into this room with a pencil pusher behind the desk who <laughs> hands him a stack of papers and says, please sign to verify this is everything you've ever said. And <laughs> which is a really it's a really funny joke, right? That's a great line. But, you know, we also got to think about the surveillance state here that there is right. an element because the other the other metaphor that the TVA is holding up, in my opinion, and this gets more evident as the show goes on, but it's the government itself. It's the idea of government. You know, the. uh to, you've heard me talk about demon corp, right? The uh, <laughs> disincarnate human souls that get taken to some corporate uh, alternate dimension to learn how to prey upon and, and uh, influence humanity for the harvesting of energy to <laughs> further the potential of birthing some physical force of malevolence into the world. I've talked about demon corp before. I think this is basically demon corp. They're in the realm of forearms. And they have a corporate hierarchy. This is all obviously the show is allegory, but I think that there's some truth to that. The, uh, you know, once you are departed from the physical world, if you don't join the source or like go into the light, accept the light of truth and you want to stay in the realm of illusion, then you're offered a chance to join the demonic bureaucracy, if you will. But I also got to point out, that there's a clock behind him. <laughs> I do hate DC, Josh. DC's horrible. <laughs> it's the worst. But there's a clock behind this dude, and it's got a uh, bunch of extra hands on it that go several different directions. 
So to me, this brings up the idea of temporal distortion. And because we talked about temporal distortion as a form of torture, and, but in the world of, cho- they call it choice hacking. This is like a part of corporate lingo. Choice hacking is where you try to engineer scenarios where somebody will be basically guided to make the choice that you want them to make, i.e. buy something or spend their money while thinking it was totally their idea. And so one of the ways that this is done is to change someone's perception of time. Like, you know, and we all know what time distortions like if you video games you think you're going to play for five minutes and then you've been there for two hours, right? Uh, they do this though for temporal distortion, the, you know, intentionally creating an environment that makes it difficult to tell how much time is passing. Uh, like no windows. You can't see the outside. You can't see the, uh, can't see where the sun's at. Right. And no clocks. <laughs> There's no clock famously, no clocks in a casino. That's shopping malls and casinos do this the most. Um, And then the other thing about choice hacking that comes to mind is decision fatigue. So I feel like this is also something that is done to you through uh, bureaucracy and, you know, being handed the stack of paperwork because every box that you check, every line that you sign and every, you know, piece of information that you put onto the form, you're making the decision of what to put on there, what not to put on there. And there's this phenomenon with human beings that, even little decisions are, are mentally taxing. They take, they take energy. And so this is another aspect of the bureaucracy and <laughs> the government is uh, decision fatigue. And I feel like decision fatigue is even, even relevant to the narratives offered by the controllers of history and worldview narratives, because, you know, it, it it's like, unnatural to be inundated with so much media and news, right? And every issue more and more these days, every issue that is thrown at you comes with a tag attached to it that says, check here. Are you for this side? Or are you for that side? <laughs> right? So by the time the October surprise rolls around this year, you're already in decision fatigue from all the other things that they've been throwing at you all year. And I think that they pushed, they tested the limits of this during the cooties era where they're like, wow, this works so well that you can get people to riot in the street over George Floyd holding signs that say, I can't breathe while wearing a cooties mask that blocks their breathing. You know, like <laughs> that's, that's the power of, of choice hacking and decision fatigue. Um, but yeah, temporal distortion from not being able to see a clock. That's a real thing. Uh, there we go. What what do you got? I know I just unloaded a whole bunch. That's awesome, man. Yeah, spot on. And of uh, of course, you know he's got the the coffee on the desk, and you can't even tell. Uh, you don't even have time to check all of uh, what's being foisted upon you. You know that's very much what the terms of the agreement of almost anything nowadays is. You know nobody really goes through all of the terms of the agreement let alone the fact that the written word doesn't have any of the spirit of the intent behind it. Uh, so, you know, uh, so it's so black and white, you know, and I always, uh, I always love how uh, filing cabinets 
in in these bureaucratic scenes, they kind of imply stow your feelings. The feelings are put away, and everything that's going on here is just the just the the literal word itself. Uh, so I just love that there's the filing cabinet kind of off behind the table. And then he's like got his coffee going, which it has to do with speeding up the pace, you know, uh, getting the heart rate going. And it brings up uh, what is called, um, let's see. Oh, coffee and temporal distortion. Is the germ- Say that yes. word again. Sorry, buddy. So this long. Then Kromverlust is a German word. It means loss of thinking space, but it really means conflating the subject for the object. Uh, this is an artistic experience, but the same thing happens when uh, you're in bureaucracy. Uh, I always say that, you know, if you give your driver's license to the cop, he looks at your license and he says, is this you? The answer is no, I am me. I'm me. That's just a piece of, of bureaucratic barbledy, jarbledy, gumbledygook that belongs to the state. That is not me at all. Uh, but if you succumb to loss of thinking space, you you confuse yourself for the object and you confuse the subject for the object. So the important thing is never to subjugate yourself. Don't let yourself become the subject of this inquiry. Uh, you know, the only thing that the state has command over is that piece of paper. They don't, that's not you. They're, if, if they're making a beef with a persona, it's just this piece of paper here that they have a problem with. And that's not actually you, the person. And that separation is your responsibility to maintain throughout the conversation and the interaction. So, yeah, you, do, you can't answer for, for the piece of paper. You can't give spirit to it. And if you go along, you're going along with a fraud, uh, the color of law. And yeah, a small fraud, which is a it's chapter. It's a good point because like uh, verifying that this is everything you ever said on these pieces of paper, but you lose. Just imagine, you know, when you tried to text somebody or write in a live chat, a sarcastic joke and everyone's like, you hurt my feelings just now. <laughs> they didn't get the joke. They didn't get the spirit of the word, right? The spirit's missing. It's just the form. That's perfect. Yes. So that, to sign that stack of papers and verify that it's everything you ever said, even if it's somehow magically accurate to the letter, the meaning is not there. So it is a fraud. Uh, someone pointed yes. out there's a cat on the mug. The, there's actually this this scene starts with a kitty cat on the floor. <laughs> and then we see oh, this guy. So he's got a picture of the cat that's in his office on his mug. There's probably something to do with, you know, our toxoplasmosis or something <laughs> weaves with the cat showing up that we could think of. But the the point that he's got a coffee mug now that I think about it, that we're being shown the coffee mug, the first sign of coffee in this scene that's giving, you know, there's no windows in here and the clock is not a clock that you could ever understand. So and we just had Loki get clocked in the face with a temporal distortion torture. I think the uh, the weave about coffee being something that distorts time is very important because think about how many people go to work. They're willing to go to work because, well, at least there's free coffee there <laughs> and it helps them get through the day because it speeds up their perception of time. I, coming as some from someone who drinks a lot of coffee, but the uh, the symbol of coffee rings 
on staining things stained on desks and on pieces of paper and on files and stuff is, is all over the show. So we should keep that in mind. Like the coffee ring uh, symbolism. When we see that, maybe we're being hinted at like temporal distortion again. And then if, do you remember in secret invasion, we only covered the first episode, but actually in that show, practically every episode, there's somebody somewhere playing solitaire. And I, I can make this one brighter too. But this guy, hidden on the side, he's playing solitaire. A little hard to see, but it's there. There, probably easier to see now. And nice. now that we've gotten the t- two series in a row where they are throwing up, up this solitaire symbolism, I had to think about it. Like, what could this really mean? <laughs> Why is this here? And the first interpretation would be like, uh, well, it's symbolic of loneliness and, you know, cubicle life is lonely. So that's that's there. But I looked further and found out I found this psychological this uh, psychological phenomenon that is used in. Choice hacking, you know, back to the idea of choice hacking and temporal distortion that. It's called intermittent reinforcement. So intermittent reinforcement is the delivery of a reward at irregular intervals. And this method has been determined to yield the greatest effort from a subject in performing a desired behavior repetitively. So if if you've got a repetitive behavior with no uh, regularity to the reward in that behavior, but the rewards do show up intermittently, you're more, you're most likely to repeat that behavior. Like if you knew that every five times that you pulled or every 10 times that you pulled the casino slot machine, you're going to get a reward. Oddly enough, you wouldn't sit there as long as if it happened randomly. So back to the casino time distortion choice hacking thing. Solitaire is the perfect game example of how intermittent reinforcement can keep somebody doing the same thing repeatedly over and over again. So now every time we see solitaire, we're going to have to think about choice hacking and intermittent reinforcement, because I think that that's the real game that's being talked about here in, uh, you know, how it's an element of mind control or behavioral control big time. You know, uh, something else that I'm seeing, this came up in um, uh, the Samuel L. Jackson one. What's that? Uh, Secret Invasion. Again, with uh, these lampstands, it seemed to be a consistent theme throughout. And uh, uh, it brings my mind to Pixar Studios. Their their symbol is an animated thing. Okay, okay. That yes, it was a anthropomorphized lampstand that they actually took on adventures, and it had a baby lampstand at one time. So it's like, and it's uh, and it doesn't speak; it's all uh, body language. It's communicating through body language and squeaks. It doesn't actually say anything, but we attach to it anyways when they anthropomorphized it. So I just wanted to point out that there's something to. Uh, it's almost like a, a animism is is kind of has been seeded in our consciousness and they're they're kind of 
uh, doing kind of puppet work in the background around these lampstands. And I know that's an obscure thing, but I just I just have to point it out because here it is. Now he's got a lamp stand next to Loki, and Loki's is flaccid, and the guy who's who's behind the desk, his is upright and alert. So there's something of um, yeah, so maybe some Freudian sexual stuff going around the lamp. Hmm. Uh, he gets dropped to the floor again, and now he's got a midget asking, or I'm sorry, dwarf, tiny person. <laughs> Joe Rogan is asking, please confirm to your knowledge that you are not a fully robotic being. <laughs> uh, and do, in fact, possess what many cultures would call a soul. Solitaire, soul. And uh, Loki asks, do a lot of people not know if they're robots? <laughs> so I feel like the, the commentary there about the NPC is super important because, you know, part of the part of how, you know, somebody is an NPC would be if they are willing to just like sign the form, stay in, stay six feet apart, stand on the circle, go through the metal detector or not the metal detector, like, you know, the body scanner. I opt out of the fucking body scanner. He's about to walk through the airport body scanner and the body scanner does damage to does damage to your insides, <laughs> period. Uh, it's known to do it. So opt out and get the pat down. If you are not an NPC, you know, that's. <laughs> and so he's like, what if I was a robot and didn't know it? And the guy's like, well, then you would be uh, melted from the inside. <laughs> <laughs> when you go through, but it's actually the opposite. Like if you're a living human being and you go through, it hurts you. Um, and if you don't, you know, if you, if you're just a compliant NPC and you go through, I honestly think that there's an element to all this, like what they call the placebo effect, but that doesn't really describe anything. It's just a label that we're told the frequencies are dangerous. We're told the food contains chemicals we're told that this that and the other thing causes cancer and then you keep doing the thing and you've been told how bad it is for you i think that that is drastically worse than it is for you to not know nescience and do the thing that ha even if it has all those physical qualities <laughs> yeah the, the the pat down is opting in for a free massage Braden says <laughs> <laughs> but the whole question of like what if i was a robot and didn't know it is very important to the theme of the show because this episode in particular it's like do you live in a predetermined universe or do you have free will and if you if everything is purely deterministic because the tva is claiming to know everything past present and future we'll get to more of that then you are no different than a, a robot in the clockwork of the Demiurge, right? That your choices are an illusion, that type of thing. But then he does step to step to the body scanner. And this is great because a little Polaroid pops out. I'll brighten this one up too. And Loki's like, what's that? And the midget says, this is your temporal aura. Well, uh, you know, if you've been listening to me for a while, then you're quite aware <laughs> that your aura contains 
the information, your memories of your past, and it's even ordered in temporal order, like the rings of a tree. So just gives you an entire new take on the word temporal, temp aural, temp being time, and then the aura. So, you know, your aura contains time. Your, your aura is time. There's definitely something there. Uh, the prism, you know, the colors that are shown here, the uh, time being a prison and colors being in a prism. All of these ideas, like it's very, as is everything in Hollywood, it's very uh, Gnostic in the simulation theory sense of Gnosticism, of course. I mean, comics can't really get away from it. <laughs> Comic book movies can't really get away from it. Hollywood can't really get away from it. Everything comes back to this perennial demiurge Gnosticism philosophy uh, because that is the overarching worldview that has to be proffered to have the sub levels of the fractal where there's masters and slaves, where there's good versus evil, where there's victims and perpetrators and managers and employees, all the different aspects of this dichotomy uh, are <laughs> crucial to keeping control, keeping the lid on of, keeping this society ordered in the way in the artificial hierarchy that it's in. So, yeah, but I like the temporal aura photo here. That was like, to me, that was pleasant because I, I know happen to know that people's aura contains their time. Right. Uh, one thing that I often think about with, with this scene, uh, building up that presumption that they can capture the essence of anything in two dimensions, you know, but one thing to just point out is that your aura is going to change, you know, throughout the day when you're hungry, when you see your dog, you know, uh, but the, yeah, the, the illusion of it being able to be captured in, in time is, uh, is, I don't know. Uh, it reminds me of the color of law again, the whole idea of like using a, a, a yeah, capturing your essence, uh, but it's only your essence for that moment. You know what I mean? Some people, if they make one face, they look like one person. And if they make a different face, they look like a whole different person. So even your driver's license, you know, it depends on what kind of day you were having when you were at the DMV. Uh, <laughs> that's why uh, I actually have a, I had a bunch of my driver's licenses all at once and I could actually watch my facial expression change over the course of many years. And it was like, Oh wow. It's actually uh, made me self-conscious. <laughs> I realized, yeah, that was a bad year and I've got, I've, I've yeah, I've improved. <laughs> <laughs> There's a really good question here from the logic fan is the future included in your aura. And it's a great question. So to like hash that out a little bit, the aura is comprised of, memory it's like the, it, your energy field that your body is within has your memories it's got uh it's all the possible spectrum of feelings that you could feel and it's your beliefs or expectations about life and yourself and so when you're in a state where your beliefs allow for you to have high potential or unlimited potential that works in the aura as 
and are this in flow, in constant flux. You know, it's all moving, grooving. <laughs> and so what you said about like it being illusory to even take a snapshot of the aura because your aura changes throughout the day. That's actually a really good point. And I, you know, I've seen like new age people with like aura photography and it's interesting, you know, um, there are ways that it can be photographed that and interpreted that is almost like astrology, but the <laughs> there you go, Mr. E time and emit are anagrams of each other. We're actually t emit is time backwards and your aura is emitted from you. And you know, it contains the record of time. But anyway, since your aura contains is, is structured, if you will, by your belief systems, uh, there is actually the future in it in a way because expectations you have or in the form of beliefs about what life is like, what life, what is normal and all that will will draw to you. The language is a little hard, but your, your experiences, external world experiences that come to you will reflect those belief systems. So people might not be able to recognize it super easily because a lot of these things are relegated to the unconscious. That's what gets them stuck out over here off to the side, somewhere in your aura and not in your conscious awareness in the light of like the center of your head, so to speak. But those beliefs you have like will repeat in a thematic thing. So the feelings or the, like the situations that repeat or that come to you in the future are in the sense of what is in a pattern and in a, a loop Time loop, they, you know, those are based on beliefs that are contained in your aura. If that, I don't know if I kind of butchered explaining that, but yeah, if you have stuck energy in your aura, you will experience things in the future that are reflective of that stuck energy. That's the simplest way to put it. So your future is kind of in your aura in a way, but it's not set. It's there's free will to it. You know, you can resolve, change your mind, resolve those stuck energies and then the uh the looping type of experiences won't happen again <laughs> when you catch something that sudden that is suddenly falls uh that sensing where the future meets with the past present interesting josh yeah uh, i wanted to comment on the fact that it's a, a, a vertically challenged individual who is uh assessing him who is sizing him up uh, uh, measuring what he's made of. Um, I just think there's a message there to like, you know, so many times, uh, like the people who are really drawn to the jobs for child protective services are the worst person who you could ever invite into your child's life. And, you know, so many times, like, you know, psychologists are drawn to the psychologist job because they've got something wrong with themselves. I'm just pointing that out with a vertically challenged person sizing him up. Uh, there's something, um, I don't know, a little oxymoronic going on there about, a, you know, or make sure you're not a robot. Are you sure you're not a little, little tiny robot, little guy? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the uh, timekeepers, the reptilian space popes, you know, the reptilian trinity, they are, we'll find out later, they're robots. So that's kind of a great point. foreshadowing as well. Right. It's a, uh, the ultimate hypocrisy. If that was the first 
uh, preventative uh, screening was to make sure you're not a robot. And then we find out that the guys calling the shots were robots. That's a great point. So then Loki is taken to this threshold where, you know, just like the DMV, man, right at the beginning, there's the take a tab, take a number. And what is lost on people in that experience of take a tab, right? <laughs> I mean, cause it could say take a number, but it specifically says tab. What do you call it when they bring you the check at the restaurant? It's your tab, right? The bar tab. So this is symbolic of if you take this slip of paper and you get in this queue, not to mention LSD. Yeah, it is about to get trippy. <laughs> but if you take this slip of paper, you are agreeing to the charge. You are now being charged. You are accepting the debt. Am I wrong here? I mean, this is exactly what's happening. He's taking on debt when he takes this tab. And now he's in jeopardy as in, you know, he could be erased from existence by the, uh, the time cops, the Minutemen. Totally. And, and uh, you know, another thing here is we're seeing um, it's the illusion of free will. Uh, it's as though you had a choice to. And once you go in there, you're on this paddock. You're going to go Ostrophodon back and forth all the way through. There's something I love how you mentioned the threshold. Uh, I see something else. Uh, it's like as much light as they could possibly fit in the room, you know. Uh, and there's also the um, the word phenomenon. I'm learning it has much to do in philosophy. It has to do with this the appearance of a thing, how it seems before we presume to have apprehension over it or put any definition or language to the, to the event itself. Uh, and I just love that you mentioned the threshold. So the, the root word of a uh, phenomenon is, uh, hold on. Banistea. Banistea which actually means to shine forth. The yeah, seemingly, like the, the sun. That's right, yes. So I think it's neat that you mentioned that on this threshold, when this light is shining forth, this, this, the, yeah. And there's, we're kind of looking between the seams as we kind of see the different rows of the, uh, of the line, of the paddock, you could say. Yeah, very symbolic, super symbolically rich. And so, yeah, if you're going to take this ticket, you're going to agree that everything is as it seems. <laughs> if this were the yeah, DMV, it, at least one of the guys behind the counter would be on break. <laughs> Good one, Dom <laughs> in the chat. So here we go. And, uh, I want to move us a little quicker here. Yeah, we are, uh, a DMV, you know, doing... by the way. DMV is a four 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 ordinal ordinal reduced. Uh, so I, and also CLU clue comes through with the same letters. So uh, ordinal reduced seems to be part of the code. Uh, if I were to take a guess, hmm. Okay, 
So as he's waiting in the non-existent line, there's this TV that comes on where he gets the introduction to what the TVA is. The TVA is, you know, it's the universal government. It's the ultimate metaphor for the new world order. In my opinion, (laughs) it's what it's the wet dream of the panopticon of surveillance control and, uh, you know, governance. Right. And I think it's very, very interesting that at this point, we're being shown the story of the TVA in the in the style of the old propaganda films of like the 50s. They specifically said that they were inspired by like A is for Atom, old propaganda film that teaches kids about the atomic bombs and how atomic energy works and the atomic model of molecular composition. Very interesting. It's like if you, I went back and watched that and, you know, it's a, they tell you a lot more in that old version of the propaganda than you get in modern descriptions of so-called nuclear bombs. <laughs> you know, the, if it was all real, I think part of like what I think the reason why it's not talked about as much or taught as much is because it sort of falls apart when it's examined closely. And but if it were all real, people could theoretically be making nukes just based on the old propaganda films and how detailed the explanation of what it was. Uh, So things like that are being alluded to. Um, We get the idea of the prison of time and that life is a type of purgatory where, or like, you know, the, the world we're in is actually a type of hell of atonement for some kind of spiritual crimes or some kind of, the crime of free will, right? That the biting the the fall of Adam, right? Biting the apple, knowledge of good and evil. That the point where you start acting of your own accord is what puts you in time. You're kicked out of the garden, kicked out of the eternal present moment. So, <laughs> wow. you know, you're you, you're on trial for your crimes now. Yeah, and that's what you you know. At the end of your run is when you get judged. The heart on the scales, right? Um, so we get yep. told so that long that, ago, it, the the shape the shape of the house that the that the the clock. What's her name? Miss Minutes. Oh, it's a trapezoid. I forget the name of it. Yeah, her name's Miss it's Minutes. The, also, the Miss Minutes. She's inside of uh, that house shape. Is also the shape of Libra. The actual constellation of Libra has a a, a, a triangle at the top. And then its two sides are kind of cockeyed. It's kind of a not a perfect uh, house shape, but it implies this justice. There's even cha- hanging, dangling chains. So yeah, there is like the law. There's a lot of law intrinsic to the symbology here. And mm-hmm. uh, Saturnian, the Saturnian magical square is a three by three square. So for her to be in in these cages of time is. Uh, has the Saturnian three by three magic square encoded into oh, that? Oh wow! Because if they really wanted to do like prison bars, usually you get more bars than that. Right, right. Bingo. So they had to bring this the Saturnian overlay onto it. And yeah. this, you know, it's sure. interesting how Saturn is correlate with time and correlate with law and authority. 
That's yeah. There's a lot of Saturn going on here. <laughs> the yeah. oh, uh, the and- pendulum of this clock is a ball and chain, like a prison. You know, like very symbolic totally. here. And we got to also keep in mind that this is the point where he's being told the truth, like what the TVA, TVA is. And the TVA is the, there to control the, you know, the sacred timeline. And yep. the, he's being told this information through a what is a TV. <laughs> so what is controlling the yes. sacred timeline is the TV. The TV is what it's doing. It's keeping people imprisoned mentally. It's keeping people in the. uh Time distortion, time dilation, torture, all of that narrative control. It's the legacy. It's the legacy. Totally legacy media. Um, also, I, we got to we got to throw Tavistock in the mix, right? The TVA is Tavistock. Tavistock is an anagram for stove tick, which doesn't sound like anything until you think about how good they are at gaslighting. And controlling people's reactivity. So it's just tick, 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 tick. And it's a matter of time before somebody picks up on the program and starts popping off uh, like MK Ultra mind control trigger servant. So yeah, Tavistock is totally uh, gaslighting people into reactivity, hyper reactivity. Yeah, that's like too big of a weave to even brooch right now Tavistock is its own multi show series to explain so we're being told about the TVA there was a long ago there was a multiverse as in everyone's free will caused infinite realities to branch off from each other in variance with every single decision everybody makes so we're being offered the what would be the logical belief if you take on the foundation or the, the, you know, the philosophical ground that parallel universes are created through choice. So it's kind of like, it's like a type of Hegelian dialectic in a way where you're being told either it's either everything is deterministic and there is no choice and it's a clockwork universe and there's one reality or there's infinite realities. There's a infinite multiverses and you know, your free will means that you're fucking up so bad that there's way better versions of you in other universes and you're nowhere near as good as they are, <laughs> you know? And like, that's, t- I offer a third position that you have free will and there is only one reality that's uh that's my position but i do think you know it's fun that the timekeepers are a trinity of course you know they got their third eye active there this red jewel in their forehead um what else do we want to say about them reminds well, me of the triops hmm. crazy triops critters that came to life out there on uh uh, the Burning Man Palaya. So they, Which, the first time that we're shown the uh, Miss Minutes, there's a spiral around her, you know, indicating like the time is more of a spiral cycle circle. But then the timekeepers come in and they straighten it out. They straighten everything out. They make time linear. Time as a line. The timeline. Wow. 
So they cured the gay science. (laughs) (laughs) That's a Nietzsche joke. (laughs) Uh, Now we're told about how uh, sometimes people like you veer off the path that the timekeepers created. Okay, first of all, let me explain this a little better. So the reason why the timekeepers, whoever they are, made time into a line is because all the multiverses were starting to do incursions upon each other and they're going to destroy everything is going to be destroyed because you're free will and you're fucking up. You know, you're the reason the earth is dying. You need to be controlled. (laughs) You need to be locked down. (laughs) You're to quit kill. You're killing the earth. Uh, That whole chestnut. And in the timekeepers create the TVA. So the justification for those who control our narratives of history rule in the place of government do the Hollywood thing is, well, I can think of a particular mm, group identification that believes to be descended from God and that everyone else is lesser people to be ruled over and enslave them. Okay. TVA, Tel Aviv. I don't know. Am I stretching here? <laughs> Weren't there magical lightning bolts flashing over some of those buildings recently? <laughs> so once the, uh, the, priest class. the timekeepers come in, the priest class comes in, the tiny hats come in and they straighten out the timeline so that there's just one sacred timeline. It's the myth of, you know, progressive improvement. What do they call that? Uniformitarianism is the name in academia, academia that everything progresses linearly. Humanity's development is linear. Nothing cyclical about it. Nothing to see here. Folks, you, you came from monkeys deal with it. Uh, and so with that, they, you know, they've, Collapse all possible choice down into one single timeline that they control. And they is based on, you know, this is the one where everyone made the right choice (laughs) or what was supposed to happen. And so you see all these people, they're on the timeline. They're on the grid. On the grid. And our little fella here in yellow, he decides to go off grid. (laughs) He's breaking the rules of the ruler. Call this a rule. You know, this grid is the ruler. It measures time. It measures increments. Uh, so we see it, that here's a bunch. Got, of, he's got the bow tie is his unique feature. It's uniform. And, you know, that's his mark in, in the other universes, too. That's just interesting to me because of the uh, the boated meteor shower is uh, it's kind of at the neck of the Analima. Uh, and it has two sides. It happens twice a year, so it's on. It's kind of on two sides of the Analima, but it, uh, it's also the thymus, or excuse me, I think I'm saying that wrong. The thyroid, the thyroid, which is generally at the neck, it has that shape. But some people believe, and it has a. Uh, it governs the endocrine system. They say it's the governor. <clears throat> Some people say that when you're about to uh, when you're about to die, that you swallow that reality where you died, and you birth another reality where you survive. And they say that oh, yeah. is the secret of da'at, of da'at, 
And that uh, that's why you get an adrenaline rush is because you just refabricated an entire reality where you did not get run over by the car. Uh, and then that your heart beat is actually all the work that you did when you jumped timelines. So I just think that's interesting that mm. they're highlighting the, the thigh, thigh miss. Yeah. Thigh miss uh, with that. Both thyroid. Eye, which is also a thyroid. Thank you. Yep. Which is also correspondent to the butterfly that Athena puts in the psychology of man uh, because Prometheus did his job, but Epimetheus, meaning hindsight, looking backwards, he didn't do his job to give them his their due gifts. So Athena had to come and compensate and give them this butterfly, which is the symbol of psychology, of psyche, mm. or the soul of humanity. So yeah, very, very heavy, heavily charged symbol. Peter Shell beat me to it. The uh, the bow tie is the hourglass tilted sideways too. Nice one, Peter Shell. <laughs> Shell, yeah. <laughs> uh, and in the language of symbolism, like film symbolism, specifically, the bow tie represents iconoclasm of an old world sort, a adherence to a contrarian point of view. So. <laughs> You know, it's like the willingness to be different, essentially confidence to be creative and different. Uh, but also it's like an old world thing. So like the, literally the language used on the description page about the bow tie and symbolism is capital letters, old world. So to me, I'm just like, OK, here's a wink <laughs> nudge from synchronicity that. They got this guy with the bow tie, he's the one breaking away from the sacred timeline. And so is his. Is he remembering the old world? You know, is he varying from the script of the sacred timeline? I think so. And <laughs> so they're talking about ways that you might become a variant. So a variant is someone that makes a choice that's not part of the sacred timeline and it causes a branch new timeline to split off. And they say, or Miss Minutes says, maybe you started an uprising or we're just late for work. So here we're equating not showing up to work with rebellion. <laughs> rebellion and uprising is kind of hidden, sprinkled throughout this uh, this episode and in the show at large. But essentially, you know, you're being told that the goal of AI is the modeling. You know, the reason why AI is being used to model the future is because if AI theoretically had enough data and it could guess everyone's behavior, you know, everyone's choices before they make it, then you could curb, you know, you could cut free will off, curb it before it causes any problems to the status quo. I mean, I, we're told that about AI. <laughs> they want the, you know, they want to know, be able to know exactly what someone's going to do on the very specific time down to the second that they die. So that's for sure in the mix. And so you're told that whatever it was, stepping off of your preordained path created a nexus event. And this is interesting, too. This caused me to look closer at the word nexus. So it turns out nexus means the same thing as religion. I kid you not. So it comes from the Latin nectare or nex, N-E-X, which means a binding together, bound or binding together. 
And relegare is the Latin word that means bind, <laughs> tied together or bound together, held fast by tying. It's the same word. <laughs> so there's that. And I can't help but notice, too, that it's philologically uh, nexus is philologically nissus. Like Dionysus, Dionysus. So when in that word, Dionysus is now I'm reading that like it is the binding of God, Dio, Nexus. Wow. So, and that's nice. what religion is. So <laughs> I'm going uh, to, I'm going to read a similar echo. Uh, I had a, a big revelation around the idea of liege being your leisure being your rest and your relaxation. You're coming back to center to, to answer only to yourself. And in a beautiful way, our leisure is the time that you actually get to be self-reflective. You actually get to commune with your still small voice. Um, and even to the extent of, you know, when we go to sleep, we are redeemed. Uh, we have repair we're able to recuperate. We're able to come back to wholeness again. So in a fun way, I think of like um, having time to relax is having time to actually ponder your decisions that you want to make. That might be the time that you should be reading the small, the small fine print of the terms of the agreement of all the things you signed all day long. Um, if you had all that time, then you could make decisions uh, with a clean conscience. Uh, but the fact that we go through making all these decisions in rapid phase, rapid pace, uh, is just a fascinating thing. So, yeah, I love the idea of religion actually being that, which gives you, uh, makes you tranquil, makes you calm, uh, brings you back to a sense of wholeness with yourself. Um, and then, the, my idea was that, you know, they say that idle hands are the devil's work. And um, uh, if people have too much spare time, then they start to question the nature of things and how things actually operate. And so that's why they got to keep people busy so they don't have any time to think. And they want people to think of thoughtfulness as being um, expensive, uh, risky. And so other people who have taken a lot of time to learn about a thing they assume all the risk. They're, uh, they're the person that you want them to have the liability put on them. So there's just something about leisure and uh, being godliness and giving you authority over your decision-making. So, yeah. And so if you're a rebel, you're uh, by having an independent thought, you break out of line. So I love that that generates a nexus where somebody here is not thinking the way we expected them to. They're breaking out of presumption. That's fun. Yeah, here's where that's represented. The you know that free will creates branches, and a universe can't. You know, if it's a deterministic universe, it won't be a multiverse. I just thought this was a like an intense illustration. You got the three the the, the triple deity holding right. up the TV. <laughs> <laughs> with the danger wow. multiverse yeah that's just like a, a powerful image it totally is this is the social contract it's, uh, 
social contract that they all, you know, everybody all for one and one for all. We're all in this together. Uh, yeah, they're upholding the social contract. You can't question the social contract. And so here's the chosen people. <laughs> the time keepers created the TVA, the TAV, and all its incredible workers. The This is the divine right of rulership right here. The special chosen ones. I noticed that some of them have really big noses, too. Like they're lying. <laughs> they're also goose stepping. But they're we find out later, I'm, I'm just joking, but we find out later that the, uh, you know, the TVA creating the time or the t being created by the timekeepers is a lie and that they're actually tricked just as much as everybody else. So that's an important thing yeah, to note in terms of the see. allegory is that the peop the governors of the system, you know, the employees of the government, the ones purveying the false narratives and altering, erasing the branches of free will are themselves just as tricked for sure. And they also have uh, those helmets again with the German looking helmets, but on the sides, is that it looks like a SS? It looks like a little S shape. You could easily turn those and put them side by side, and they would be the SS symbol. I on their helmets. That, yeah, there's a there there. I see that. And oh, are they the brown shirts? Are we looking at brown shirts? Yeah, dude. <laughs> We're looking, We're at, looking brown at brown, brown shirts. shirts. Those are literal fucking brown shirts. Wow. Yeah. Those are the brown shirts, y'all. And so they're chasing That's after something. variants and we find out later that they are variants themselves have been taken off the timeline because they had nothing better to do with them than put them to work for the TVA and erase their memories. But isn't that exactly how it works in the world? Like think about the Jews, right? And they're calling everybody Nazis and, you know, crying about their victimhood while they actually are, you know, a lot of them that identify as that have power in government, power in Hollywood, lots of influence, and they're using it the way that the Nazis would use it. So it's like, watch out for these guys at TVA. They're warning everyone about the variants. They themselves are variants. So watch out for the people calling you a Nazi, calling you a racist, calling you a bigot, whatever. You know, like most, very likely, if they're in the position of power, they are themselves the Nazi <laughs> variant <laughs> Variant, it might as well just be a degenerate, like um, degenerate. <laughs> What's the word? Deviant? They're deviants, right? So we better keep going here. Here we go. The TVA steps in to fix your mistake. Well, whose mistake is it, TVA? Because really, like part of the philosophy of the chosen people is the whole Tikkun Olam thing, which in Hebrew means heal the world. And when you get into like the the esoteric Kabbalism, there's this, or, or Gnosticism, basically, you get down to what is believed is that God messed up. God has made a mistake. God, God is broken. And it's up to us, the chosen people, to heal the world, fix God, fix the mistakes. And so that's like what the TVA is doing, right? If these this trinity of timekeepers created the realm, uh, and you know, I hope everyone can figure it out for themselves, but I'm not like really hating on uh, <laughs> the any of the value in the esoteric in esoteric Judaism. 
you know, we're looking at, we're talking about those who take on the victim label or like the liability shield of the, uh, the victim class and the label. <laughs> I think everyone gets it though. We, we had Owen on last Wednesday and we covered that off really well. All of that really well. And you gotta be able to make fun of a thing. The thing you can't make fun of is the thing that you should definitely be making fun of. And you should definitely be looking closer at it. <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, I just got to point out the, uh, again, with the trapezoid equaling a portal or a disappearance. Oh, I just got a super chat that's for both of us. So remind me, I'll cash app you. I'll make a note at the end of my slides. Right on, right on. Mm-mm-mm-mm. All right. So continuing forward the- here. Brown shirts. Yeah, dude. That's so true, though. It's definitely Nazi symbolism here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> find it interesting that they're, they're allegedly able to go anywhere in space and time. But what you're looking at here, of like what they're controlling, they're showing you the globe, right? They're showing you the Earth as a globe. But they could go anywhere in the universe, theoretically. Why is that? And then is the globe on the TV? Is it only, does the globe only exist on the TV? That's what I think is being hinted at here, that the globe is the controlled sacred timeline lie. It's a big part of it. Um, It's on TV. Don't trust it, (laughs) including us people. You know, we're doing our best to tell you the truth and and never lie. Maybe wrong, but not lying. Right. But, you know, you got to, suss this stuff out for yourself. We're at this such a strange phase where like the only interface to information is a screen though, other than going out and looking at something with your own eyes, which is more and more rare. So the TV on that image, on, on that last image chance, I just want to point out that the world is also subliminally wearing headphones. The shape of that's holding that the TV screen is mounted to the ceiling. It is also in the shape of headphones, which later in the series, the headphones are particularly orange, uh, but they, uh, they come up again in, uh, in future episodes. So, so just to put a pin in the headphone headphones for the world. Oh, back to the, okay. I'll get to that. Dom says, what's with the tickets. These one eye boys are holding. Those are the tabs. That's the, they accepted the debt. They've been charged. Their variants. Then Miriam points out Earth 616. Back to the whole 16 weave uh, that came up earlier. The mainstream Marvel Universe, the sacred timeline, is they call it Earth number 616. So that's important. 16 comes up. We have the, uh, the TVA slogan for all time, always. At the bottom it says, Time Variance Authority Narrative Commission. In case the whole allegory of Ministry of Truth controlling the story, historical, you know, controlling the timeline is controlling people's worldview and belief of history. That is the that is the fact. You know, there's no one going back in time and changing the past. There's no one controlling and trimming branches of timelines. But it's all allegory for keeping everybody in the box of a unified worldview of this <laughs> uh, uniformitarianism 
as they call it. I already brought that up. And then Loki, he gets it. He knows it's a lie and an illusion because he's the god of lies and illusions. And he says, who actually believes this bunkum? So good on him. Now I want to just quote Kafka again. (laughs) Every revolution evaporates and leaves behind only the slime of a new bureaucracy. Because that's essentially what it was like, right? Everything was in chaos. Timekeepers came in, revolutionized everything, made the sacred timeline. But what do they leave behind? Slimy new bureaucracy. So that's important because the whole cycle of revolution implies a cyclical repeating of things. And even if we were to rise up and overthrow the oppressor, right? We had a, a revolution. We would find ourselves in the same exact spot because in a way, in a way, the idea of Tikkun Olam, heal the world, is correct, but not in the way that it's used by these types, I don't think. What needs to be healed is consciousness. Like we got to dig within ourselves and find wherever this fucking splinter is inside the, the big capital S self you know, the oversoul that, that emanates all of us to like that is keeping us in this cycle or we have to accept. And I'm actually personally, I'm more with the latter at this point. We have to accept that this is the nature of of what allows us to exist in the form of experience and in the, you know, the, the world of uh, you know, the, <laughs> the world of life this is what you got to get you got to get this like dualistic thing to be able to generate experience and stories this is like this is the nature of having a story you have to have this conflict you have to have and that's why the savior character is mercurial brings good to where there's evil brings evil to where there's good and that's important to know we'll we'll get into that more in a later point when loki's being uh, interrogated. I want to. I want. I want to point out the slime. Uh, he's what leaves slime behind is a snail. Mm. And who? What culture eats snails? It's the French eat the escargot. The French are known for being uh, quick to revolution. Uh, did they, you notice the next made, slide is France? Uh, no, I did not. But there it is. That's a great weave, buddy. That's a great weave. Yeah. Uh, revolution is slow. People are slow to catch on to the revolution. And even after it's gone, there's still a slimy mess left behind. Very interesting. I love that. Nice weave. Nice weave. Uh, you you weaved it. <laughs> I did, I guess I did in the sense of I put the Kafka quote about slime right in front of the point of the plot where you go to France. But like, I didn't notice that. That's a good call. So whenever, from now on, whenever we get a year in this show, I'm just going to go find out what happened in that year. Let me, I want the details. And I would love it if people did some digging on this stuff too and found out things that we don't bring up. But 1549 in the I.N. province, France. I think that's how you'd say that. They wouldn't say that hard X. In 1549, just across the English Channel in England, this year was known as the Year of the Many-Headed Monster. 
which is a Hydra reference, because of the number of rebellions which occurred in the country that year. So that's very interesting. <laughs> uh, also, this was the year that the first European Jesuit, Francis Xavier, arrived in Japan. So the first Christian missionary to Japan. Very significant. You know, he goes and tells the, the emperor of Japan that you're actually owned by the Pope. Did you know? <laughs> uh, there's also in India, the Burmese-Siamese War, where this one viceroy of Burma slays a, a queen who's riding an elephant. <laughs> like, pretty cool story. There's a war elephant story in 1549. Might be worth looking into. Um, then I grabbed a little bit about this year of the many headed monster. Cause you know, rebellion. Oh, that gets me perks my interest. Cause we were just shown about how you cause variance by rebelling. Right. So what happened in England, one of the rebellions was called the prayer book rebellion. The prayer book rebellion was basically the standardization of the uh, canon, if you will, the belief system of the theology of the English Reformation. And some people didn't like that. And so there was an uprising of, of peasants, essentially. And the, you know, the traditional religious pilgrimages and processions that were very important to Catholicism, all about, you know, there's a lot of money in that tourism of pilgrimages. Think Canterbury Tales. Uh, that was basically banned. and. That put a lot of uh, pressure on the economy because of how much the velocity of money was was slowed down. Not to mention there was some tax increases on the sheep, which I find like very symbolic because, you know, the peasants are the sheep symbolically. So anyway, we won't go too far into it other than, uh, you know, look into that yourself. I never have heard of this, the prayer book rebellion, but it's a thing. Here's the siege in Westgate or of Exeter, the siege of 1549, where the peasants were defeated by the army. Interesting stuff. And one of the reasons I grabbed this prayer, book of common prayer is just like, man, <laughs> the symbolism on the artwork of this book is intense, right? We got a cornucopia symbol. There's a W for some reason, W and an E. Um, there's, I should zoom in on some. We're getting in the weeds a little bit. You got a dragon, you got a griffin. You know, two pillar symbolism. Very interesting artwork. Looks like a devil down here. Oops. Yeah, it looks very... Uh... Uh, kind of Toltec, even yeah. The way some of those the headdresses are kind of has a Aztec Mayan kind of flair to it. Very interesting. And then you got behind. Okay, so then we're showing Mo, uh, Mobius. He is investigating a crime scene in this cathedral. Uh. I don't know if this is a real stained glass. My guess is that this is either Archangel Michael or Joan of Arc. 
But I think Joan of Arc, because of the French, you know, there's the Fleur de Lis pattern on the skirt and looks like long hair. I think we're looking at Joan of Arc personally. But remember, Loki yeah. standing on the I, rock. I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. And she's standing on the rock, you know? Oh, right, right. The Lord. Oh, good point. Nice. Very, very similar, too. Even the shape of the rock is similar to Loki there. Yeah, nice. I think so. Oh, and she's burdened with glorious purpose. Right. She has she's got glorious glory. purpose coming off. Totally, totally going right. back and to what the Right, and what we don't know yeah. yet. Yeah, no. Well, what we don't know yet is that the crime that they're investigating is the perpetrator is the other variant of Loki that's a female. So with the Mercury twin Gemini symbolism, there's a male Loki and a female Loki in this series. She's not really introduced in this episode, but, you know, symbolically it's foreshadowed here. She's on this rock. She's got the glorious purpose, exactly like you said. And it's the female counterpart. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about her more when it's appropriate. I'll, I could say so much about her, but I'd be getting ahead of ourselves and there's plenty more to talk about in this staying in this scene. I think it's very funny that you know, there's, <laughs> there's the Ukraine colors. I got to point out those were re Ukraine colors radiating off that angel. Just had to say it. <laughs> well, they're French colors too in that time period. I don't know if you knew, but the French flag at this time period was blue and gold. It was blue backdrop with gold fleur de lis. So yeah, it's totally French or uh, totally Ukraine. And then this is a great little uh, joke where more, more Mobius has got an assistant or whatever with him. And Mobius cracks a, a joke at his expense in French. And the other guy's like, I speak every language on the timeline too. So <laughs> this is such a wink, wink, nudge, nudge about like the government or the Tav, the Tavistock, the, uh, the tiny hats, what the, basically the occult priest class that is also the ruling class, right? That they are the divisors of language as in they divide, they devised it and they divide it, right? They, that's, like to me, that's fascinating just in context of language that the word that means divide as in separate and, and ratio and segment is also like devise as in create engineer. <laughs> so I speak every language on the timeline too. Well, there is, um, there is some kind of proto language that it all comes from. And if you understood those roots, you would be able to kind of get the gist of every language that way too. So that's a good one. Then we see a close up of this devil figure, man. I find very interesting. And it's like to me, the throne it's sitting on is reminiscent of the, the shell, like the Venus on coming out of the shell in the ocean, but it's a lake of fire instead of water. And you got the moon because she's, yes. This is about uh, the alternate Loki, and she's like the lunar figure to his solar figure in a big way. Yes, and it's also the moon and the star come together and become the monster. So the moon star is moon the monster. Star. And, uh, yep, and then that, that 
that's another thing about like the, you know, the Muslims have a God that you're not allowed to ever see his face. Well, then he must be ugly. Why is he, why is he got to hide his face for? He must be a monster, you know? So people uh, vilifying the mystery. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that, but good call on the, on the shell too. He must be, he must be shellfish. If he's shellfish, <laughs> then he must be the, he must be evil. And then there's the, and then there's the the globe at his feet, which is, uh, yeah, very demiurgic. But I just love pointing out that, uh, for me, the globe is a star map. It's, uh, it's Urania has this sacred orb that is a star map. And I think it's just funny that we're still fighting over the ball. Even in sports, people fight over the ball. And while a lot of people think it's about the earth shape, I like to think it's about keeping people afraid of astronomy, making astronomy controversial. Uh, that's, that's my take on it. Not so much mm. the shape of the earth. I think they're, uh, they're vilifying the angels and the angles of geometry that we could learn if we'd get the fourth pillar of the quadrivium reinstated. I also think that this is Mephisto. Um, and good point, Priscilla, that is like that sphere below him could also be a pearl. The pearl is sign- symbolic of wisdom, right? And beautiful. Mephisto is the name of the devil that Faust in the, in the play, I think they give us the name Faustian deal. He sells his soul to Mephisto for knowledge, which is wisdom. And I think part of why we're being shown this Mephisto type character and why I say Mephisto is because this looks a lot like the Mephisto of Marvel comics. Who's the, the actual devil in uh, (laughs) the ruler of hell and all that in the comic lore. I think we're being alluded to here that the governors, the TVA, they've sold like that. They've made a Faustian deal unwittingly to gain the wisdom of the knowledge of everything everywhere all at once and what everyone's going to do on the timeline. So more on this cathedral. Well, well, one more thing on that, uh, on that, uh, glass, stained glass. Um, for one, the glass is broken. So it's a shattered world, you know, very much along that Gnostic, uh, yeah, kind of spell. But also, do you notice he uh, in the glass behind him, there's kind of a butterfly, butterfly wings kind of hidden subliminally behind the throne there. I just thought I would throw that in there that the front facing is something ter- ter- terrible and terrifying, but behind it is a symbol of uh, uh, epigenetic memory, uh, which red is one of the most triggering colors. Uh, that gets to uh, it's the ultimate trigger when we see red it's the ultimate warning color but great call on the uh, the pearl Um, one more thing on the on the pearl Uh, (laughs) there's a thing called uh, hierophilia and hierophilia is turning uh, sacred symbols into sexual icon icons or sexualizing what is sacred. And I mean, having a, just kind of a, you have a uh, fetish fetish. It's like, a, <laughs> yes, we, and it, 
and uh, it doesn't have to be uh, sacred icons in terms of religious. It can just be sacred in that it's very functionally important to a culture. And so one of my weaves is how the modern day mouse is a yoni. And the button that everybody's clicking to receive is the clitoris. And so uh, the, the, the fact that the Virgin Mary, the sacred Virgin Mary uh, shape, her iconography is a sacred yoni. And so they have hierophilized the sacred Virgin Mary symbol. And you even pay attention to the shape of the Virgin Mary when her hands come together. That's often symbolic of the clitoris. And so you take the same recipe and you kind of invert it upside down here. And so the same thing with a, uh, you know, a sacred Virgin Mary, you turn it upside down and you <laughs> this Virgin and make Mary? it not. Yes, yes. It's fascinating how they have sublimated these sacred shapes of the human anatomy. And then you turn them upside down and put a devil's face on it. And it's like, uh, obviously evil because it's uh, succumbed to its bestial nature. So yeah, I just uh, thought I'd throw the hierophilia because, you know, we still do this in so many ways. And I just, uh, I love to make the joke that the day that computers operate on something that goes in this shape, it'll be a different, it'll be a different conversation. (laughs) Don't do the the shake weight. disgusting. (laughs) The day that the shake, yeah, somebody (laughs) will sign, take a clip of me doing that. But yeah, the day the shake weight, makes cars steer through traffic will be the day that we have a new hierophilia on our hands. I just did a finger dip of my calamus powdered calamus. <laughs> Kyle at has got me on calamus. It's a really good throat chakra medicine. So I just, you know, dipped some <laughs> old finger dip, but here we go. This is a triptych from the cathedral at this location in France. This is not shown in the show. And I don't know, I couldn't find any verification that the stained glass that the show was uh, having in the background was real. I couldn't find any, I couldn't find that in reality. So, and which makes sense because the symbolism of that um, Joan of Arc on the rock and the glory around her head and like the fact that it's a female savior which is very rare in Christian iconography. Joan of Arc is kind of a special case, right? I think they probably fabricated that, right? And the Mephisto thing, the previous slide, also very Marvel in its in its look and feel. But this triptych right here is actually at the cathedral. <laughs> and you got the burning bush with Mary in it with the child. Um you know, the, like almost like a world tree symbol. We could get lost exploring this forever. In fact, I'd really like Mario for it. But what I wanted to zoom in on most of all was, uh, let me go to the next slide. At the Pope's feet. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> what, what do we got here? So while you guys are looking at this triptych, At the cathedral in this uh, city in France, there's this altar, which I didn't grab a picture of. It wasn't that interesting, but the uh, altar has the inscription and the glorious mother of the Virgin Mary is venerated in this chapel. So it is 
possible that Anne was being depicted in that stained glass. I don't know. But on this on this stone altar, there's a tabernacle bearing the figure of Christ with the caption, Look, mortal, it is for you that such a victim is delivered. And there's a structure behind the altar with six figures. Uh, you know, I, I sh- should grab a picture of that. People can find it if they look up the I N Aeon I N Cathedral in France. You know all about Ion. We're going to talk about Ion later. Aeon, but yeah, there's fucking homunculus confirmed. Where's Juan? I figured he's probably <laughs> lurking. Homunculus confirmed. Absolutely, homunculus confirmed at this cathedral. Very interesting. Wow. Nothing to see here. So trippy. But I just thought it was important that this cathedral has the caption on the altar. Look, mortal, it's for you that such a victim is delivered because it's lost on people that that the meaning of the word victim is a religious sacrifice. So every time somebody's like, I'm a victim, I was victimized. You're a victim. You were victimized. You are invoking a nexus a relegare you're binding yourself to this sacred timeline thing you know this been an old this this master slave manager employee victim perpetrator battery has been going on forever it's there are no new tricks in the book of the TVA it's the same trick the whole time so then we uh Get shown this kablooey. Let me make it big or brighter. So Mo- Mobius is Owen Wilson's character. He's getting, uh, he's investigating this crime scene where some TVA uh, officials were killed. And what he finds is a kid who's holding this gum. And so there's like the, the devil bearing gifts is what he says. And what did I want to say about the blue? I have a weave on this. Oh, well, it, it oh, definitely yeah, so has. Kaba- Go ahead. Kabalui, Kabalui is first thing I think of. So then you zoom out to the kid's face and he's got a blue mouth. So we all know about like your lips can turn blue if you're freezing or your circulation's bad, but that there's a word for this. It's called cyanosis. And so this kid has cyanosis symbolically, which can be caused by shock. Now, the other thing about a blue mouth, not very well known. It's an older, uh, colloquialism, colloquialism. I can never say that damn word. <laughs> A blue mouth is someone who swears or talks dirty using words of a strong sexual nature. And in fact, the word blue was used in the past to talk about pornographic movies. They were called blue movies. So the devil is giving kids blue mouth, (laughs) sexualizing children and also kablooing them, blowing them up, you know, like to me. That that's wow. the uh, that is what the like the government, the TVA, the Jews, whatever you want to call it, the whole abuse of children is like you would just 
breeze past this, but the blue mouth is not an accidental choice of symbolism at all. So what your thoughts? Man, it makes me <laughs> yeah, it makes Kinda me makes think me of the blackguard. Yeah, yeah. Uh the blackguard is another word for uh a public uh, persona who is using common parlance, but they're also using vulgar tongue in a in a setting that is supposed to be uh, uh, revered as a you know prim and proper. If if you're a public figure, you're supposed to only speak uh, public figure parlance. But a blackguard would be somebody coming in and using like uh, common tongue and even using profanity. Uh, but which hails back to the black guard, which I think also hails back to um, um, censorship. But that's interesting that uh, the blue having a, a blue is kind of similar, you know, and this kid is, is not supposed to is a keeper of secrets, right? This kid is like holding his tongue. So it's almost like if you're holding your breath for too long, you turn blue. Uh, so yeah, you get the the feeling that the kid has been waiting a long time to reveal something. Oh, and don't forget probably, that probably, you know what happens probably, right after this. <laughs> I don't have a slide for it, but what happens right after this? Mobius says, "Go on outside. It's going to be fine." Kid goes outside. They set the reset charge. They do the great reset. What does that mean? It means that this entire branch of the timeline is wiped from existence. So they kablooied the kid. He's gone. He's blown up. He's wiped. Damn. So there's like, the, it was, it's very, once you can, once you see what they're telling you here, the symbolism is overt. They act like they're the good guys and they just killed a kid, child casualties in their holy war. It's yeah. Sheree, she says, is yeah. symbolism ever an accident? No, <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, even if someone didn't know they're putting it in there, they're revealing the contents of their psyche. You know, God speaks to them. And the symbolism is never an accident. And that way there's determinism. <laughs> now, the next I, shot is I, Loki's uh, file, right? And on his file, you see the TVA logo. Just thought that that's worth, you know, zooming in on. It's a very interesting logo. And we can't, we can't forget the paperclip. Can't ever <laughs> miss a paperclip. Project paperclip. But I zoomed in on uh, his sex is listed as fluid. Gender fluid. That's a Why? very serious buzzword. And also at the bottom, there's an alphabet in the order that you would put it in to, in my opinion, to dictate the septenary cipher. Nice catch. Yeah, well, totally. I'm just going to go through a list here because what is the show about? It's about controlling the timeline, right? And we just saw the uh -huh. phrase gender fluid. So I'm just going to read a, a list of quote unquote holidays. All right. March 21st through the 25th. LGBTQIA plus health awareness week. March 31st. Transgender Day of Visibility, April 6th, International Asexuality Day, April 13th, International Day of Pink, a.k.a. the Day of Opposing Homophobia, April 14th, Day of Silence, whatever that means, 
April 26th, Lesbian Visibility Day. May 17th, International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, and Transphobia. May 19th, A Gender Pride Day. May 25th, May 22nd, Harvey Milk Day. What the fuck is that? May 25th, Pansexual and Panromantic Awareness Day. Entire month of June, Pride Month. June 23rd, Stonewall Day. June 28th, International LGBTQ Plus Day. June 14th, International Non-Binary People Day. July 16th, International Drag Day. September 16th through 23rd, Bisexual Awareness Week. September 23rd, Celebrate Bisexuality Day. Entire month of October, LGBT History Month. October 8th, International Lesbian Day. October 11th, National Coming Out Day. October 19th, International Pronoun Day. October 19th, Spirit Day, Support for LGBTQ Plus Youth. October 23rd through 29th, Asexual Awareness Week. October 26th, Intersex Awareness Day. Entire month of November, Trans Awareness Month. November 5th, Transparent Day. I'm not even going to go on. (laughs) Okay, this is controlling the timeline. Okay, this is gender fluid control the timeline. It. That was a hard to read. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. This is controlling the timeline, dude. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that just needs to sit. Yeah. So one other thing I'm seeing, uh, maybe I'll make a, for the, the next time we, uh, we do another episode you see the uh how on the logo of tva they have the the one branch of the v is white and the one branch of the a is white i'm pretty sure i can put those together uh segment them and put together the altar the ara mm. altair constellation and i think what we're seeing is the altar is broken and segmented into two separate uh sections i've mm. seen this in the tarot cards before but I just wanted to put that together. Maybe I'll uh, I'll consummate that on our next presentation. But yeah, I think the altar is intentionally separated uh, because eventually they presume to be the one who gives remedy, who can mm. put that uh, help you find yourself, so to say, as though they know you better than you know yourself. So after we see gender fluid and his sex there. And, you know, the TVA logo, I can't help but point out that the city of Tel Aviv, capital of Israel, claims to be the gayest city on Earth or the most gay friendly city on Earth. Not my claim. Not my claim. TVA, Tel Aviv, gender fluid. There's a there there. Does that just I mean, doesn't that just uh, drive the, the HIV uh, research market to the to optimal because <laughs> yeah san francisco comes to my mind i'm like oh are they competing with san francisco well if that's the case then that's also uh that's what don't they do uh uh gain of function research around people who have that particular uh demographic yeah gain of function seems to go hand in hand with that fauci you're killing us yeah, uh, th- this is just, you know, make of it what you will. Just thought it was interesting. 
uh, I started thinking about the 12 hours, you know, the system, the 12 system of things in 12 in uh, Hebrew numerology, 12 is the number of perfect government. It 12 means God is in control of something. And I, you know, it's kind of thinking ba- based on being inspired. <laughs> we have 66 watching right now. So that's 12 <laughs> based on uh, Owen recently talking about the six fingered man and the princess bride and how many things in the systems of control are based on sixes or like base 60 or base, base six hexadecimal, whatever. And uh, especially time, you know, 60 seconds, 60 minutes, etc. So here's some pictures of real life hands with six fingers. That is a real thing. It's more common than you would think. Uh, Loki in septenary gematria is 12. Kang is 12. Kang ends up being like the demiurge at the top of this TVA thing. We're jumping ahead with that, but it's interesting to me. And even the word hand equals 12. So God is 13. TVA is 13. I know that it's easy to add things up and get what you want, right? With Gematria, I'm not making any claims, but I'm think I am putting it on the table that I'm thinking about six fingered hands and six fingered rulers. The the Nephilim idea. Just thinking about it. I don't know. It's worth thinking about. Yeah, man. I'm uh, vestigial organs. I'm never ends how fascinating that idea is. But the word vestigial organ, uh, you know, it's like your appendix. Yeah, yeah, it 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 does. It kind of has that implication that it was you didn't need this, did you? You weren't using this placenta, were you? Let me take that off your hands for you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, very interesting that hands is a 12. Um, because Bard is also yeah, 12. He, Bard, you know, like the one telling oh, you nice. the story, telling you the narrative. Storyteller. Nice. Yeah, I love to point out how Archons is also saying Archons. And so Archons are quite in control of our own destiny. Oh, man, this is a really low brightness. I'll fix this one, too. So the next scene is him getting like the reason why we saw his file is because he's getting pulled into a courtroom. And, you know, as if as if they need to confirm all the stuff we've been talking about already. And what does the judge say? The very first thing in this courtroom scene, Lafison. So his surname variant L1130 his social security number, <laughs> AKA Loki Lafison. So she's calling out his legal name and uh, his social security number, which you must identify with. If you're going to be, if you're going to plea before the, if you're going to pray before the God. So this is the character Renslayer. And that's her name. Renslayer. She's in the comics and everything. Well, what is Ren? A Ren is the, okay, so in the Egyptian mythos, in the ancient mystery school mythos, you have more than one body. You have your spirit, you have your life force, you have your physical body. There's many layers and they all have different names. But the, your name itself, <clears throat> my name, Chance Garten, is a, one of my bodies. It's a layer of my existence. It has a life to it. 
And the name that they called the name, <laughs> the name of your body that is your name is called the Ren. That was your sacred name in the Egyptian mythos. Her name is Ren Slayer. She kills you by con- through the straw man, you know. That's her power over you. Her power over you is through your name. That's the legal system. The whole legal system is Renslayer. That's the allegory here. It's wild how specific that is. Like, here you are, the judge. Her name's Renslayer. Come on. (laughs) Come on, man. And uh, I thought Jen found some better pictures of the uh, triptychs in this courtroom. And they are very interesting. Very interesting. You have the three classes or the casts of the TVA. You have the military, you have the bureaucracy, and you have the leadership or the judges or the elected officials. You know, it's basically, this is the government, you know, Uh, the red sashes too. I really want to zero in on the red sashes in a future episode. And on the other wall, you have the mural of the mythology of, you know, the origin story of the existence, the timelines colliding or the multiverse fighting with itself, the pacification of free will by the triple God, and then the creation of the sacred timeline and the worshipers created or the, the workers created, you know, um, To worship is like to work for, you know, uh, that's basically what it means. I I should get the etymology down a little better, but it's basically what it is. Cause like when you work for somebody, they acknowledge your value, you know, and that's kind of what worship is supposed to mean. Like you're acknowledging the value of the deity, but in a reverse sense, like who you work for, you're getting your value, your value is being validated by the pay that you receive. Uh, I want to keep moving though. I don't want to linger on this just for the sake of time. If that's cool. I want to, I want to throw out uh, the, when I see this triptych, when I see the three, three classes that make up a society, I see the noble lie, the platonic noble lie. Yep. Which is sometimes uh, there's another word for it. It's, um, that the the priest class is the golden, the military is the uh, silver, and the working class is the iron. And so these elemental levels of purity and function and value are intrinsic to the noble lie that the Plata- oh. Pla- uh, Plato's Republic puts forward. In, in the TVA, the bureaucracy floor, or not the bureaucracy floor, but like the floor where like the Minutemen and the, you know, where you're getting prodded with a stick and pushed around that's orange. And then the floor where the office workers bureaucracy is at is more green tinted. And then the areas where the judges ruling class work is gold tinted. They do that with the color grading in this show. So exactly what you just said, it's like divided by color code too. Totally. Totally. Yep. And Loki says to this judge, Madam, a God doesn't plead. Well, judge means God. (laughs) Definition of judge is a a magistrate is a God, lowercase g. And 
plead means pray. So actually, when you're standing in front of the judge, whatever you're saying is you are pleading before God. It's, you know, I feel like that that's a joke about the whole truth of the legal system, that it's like a big religious thing. And we've talked about that before. Then he uh, blames the Avengers for his crimes because he says that they did the time travel heist. And he knows it because he could smell the cologne of two Tony Starks at once. (laughs) But then she's like, actually, that was supposed to happen. So she's basically this is the legal system telling you, actually, the super wealthy, a.k.a. Tony Stark, they can do their crimes and get away with it for the greater good. They're allowed to do it. You know, the wealthy class, the high ultra wealthy is crime. (laughs) Is there, uh, you know, is something really illegal if you can pay your way out of it? So there's actually a stratification of law where at certain level you're above the law. That's actually part of that's baked into the system as well. And some people print the money. So there's an, there's another thing. The fact that he wants to blame the Avengers uh there something that i've discovered is the uh uh eros is the name of love he has a twin brother whose name is anteros who is anti-love in his name anteros also is said to mean um avenger that's one of his epithets so the anteros the anti-love is called an avenger He's an avenging angel of sorts, but he's also keeping track of unrequited love, love that was not uh, reciprocated. And so uh, I think there's an interesting weave there about um, when your intentions go against the flow of what you uh, actually desired, you've transgressed yourself, really. And if you can really get to the heart of the matter, I think there's a there is an alchemical recipe uh, and I haven't unfurled it just yet from my Enneagram project, but I believe that being integrated, an integrated persona moves in a certain way, which would be love or eros and to go against the flow, to go against what you, uh, what you want is anteros. So it would be trespassing or going against yourself. I think there's a recipe in my project around love and anti-love having to do with the two arrow theory. But I just love that he's blaming the Avengers while he's in courtroom. And I think that the anti-love has a nickname in Greek mythology of the Avenger. That is a perfect weave, really, because <laughs> he's the Eros character. Yeah. And the Avengers are his nemesis. Interesting. And Jen just pointed out that uh, Renslayer's outfit and the judge's outfits look like Girl Scouts. Very true. And back to the brown shirts thing. I missed and that. That is so spot on. Great. Catch. Is fully spot on. <clears throat> And so she's like, okay, what they did was supposed to happen. You escaping was not. So back to the free will versus determinism thing. And then he's like, well, what do the timekeepers do? You know, what's their, who are these timekeepers? What do they do? And she says, they dictate the flow, the proper flow of time. 
they dictate the flow of time. And then Loki's like, well, what's your job? We dictate the proper flow of time according to their dictations. So she's basically repeating herself, right? Which is the circular logic <laughs> of, of this whole system. And it's to me, that's interesting because the word dictator, like the tyrant, comes from the Latin dictare, which means to repeat or to say often. So the judge, who's a dictator, is a repeater. You know, that's and that's what that is what a tyrant or a dictator does is you you control your the governed by worldview control. You don't control them with force. I mean, the whole like the idea of intimidation that like, oh, an uprising, you'll, if you try to rise up, you'll be crushed back down. Right. Well, that's not really how it works. <laughs> how it works is you control yourself because you have the worldview that you'll be crushed if you rise up and you have the worldview that someone else has the power over your free will. Right. But what if the truth was that you have total free will and that the laws of the universe or natural law or karma are such that unless you give consent to be governed, controlled, murdered, uh, whatever by your behavior and by what you acquiesce to, then that actually can't be done to you. What if it's a worldview manipulation worldview war to get people that gets people to believe that there is even the possibility that they could be killed or murdered? What if that's not even how this place works? What if this is a spiritual realm, not a material plane? What if we are, everything is consent and free will instead of deterministic, you know? What if the biggest lie ever is that someone could do it to you? You know, and like, what if the people who experience someone doing it to them is because they believe that someone can do it to them? That's what the dictator is really doing. is repeating your worldview to you over and over again. And if that worldview is right. you better not toe the line or I'm going to stomp on those toes and you believe that it can be done to you, you won't toe the line. You'll never find out if you're going to get stomped on or not. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is fascinating. The fa the uh, it's almost like you know the word jurisdiction kind of means the same thing. It's like it's law because we said it's law. And uh, that jurisdiction logic, in Latin etymologically is is saying the right thing. Basically, <laughs> it's what it means. Right. Right. Yes. And so as long as we as long as we stay within a prescribed narrative, then we can never go wrong. As long as we only say what has already been said, uh, we stay with the program. It's so fascinating what it, <laughs> what it really <laughs> translates down to, but that circular logic, I think that's important. I think, uh, I'm, I'm studying, uh, the different types of bad logic, bad faith argumentation, uh, there's a lot of these sn snares and traps that we fall into habitually uh, very often. Uh, so these are all good things for people to study. But uh, I'm seeing a questioning of the Kantian imperative here. Uh, um, Immanuel Kant was uh, known to have did this kind of circular logic fairly re uh, regularly. Uh, uh, using the word you're defining, but just in a different language, 
to say the same word. So this is like to say uh, this this uh, sleep medicine has a uh, an aspect of sleepiness that is what helps you go to sleep when you take it. And you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. Well, that's because I used the word sleepiness three times to just tell you this is going to make you sleepy. And I didn't tell you anything you didn't already know. Uh, so, yeah, that linguistical kung fu has been going on. For, and that's what she's doing here. Uh, that we dictate the pop proper flow according to the dictations. So whenever you see the same word said twice, even if it's in another language, like seize and desist, that's English and French. But it's the same word. It sounds like they said two different things, but they're just repeating it. So I think that has happened many times where they just take the form of the word and put it through its Greek derivative and then feed it back to you. So you think that they just went somewhere when, in fact, they're just saying this question back to you in Mm -hmm. a but in a positive format. This happens so much more often than we'll ever know, because we're not polylinguistic. We're not a. We're not uh, polyglots. Right. Like we, we don't speak we every language on the timeline. <laughs> the, That's uh, exactly it. The, great, the great James Evan Pilato at Media Monarchy, he says, whenever he's talking about a, uh, a reporter, he calls them repeaters. <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, that's basically what they are. They're repeaters. All the different media outlets repeat the same story, same AP talking points. But we got to move forward. I mean, uh, this was a good thing yeah, to linger on, though, because like this, this is a huge key to to actual free will is to understand yep. this dynamic. I want to throw the dictate, the eight. It's the same word over and over and over. They're treading over the same pattern. So it's just dict, dict infinity is really what dictate means. And eight is controller uh, domineering with a shadow of lust, personality type controllers. Oh, dude. Dude. T and D switch. Dictate, tick, date. TikTok, the date and time. Whoa. Dictate. Whoa. The calendar repeats. Same holiday, same time every year. And yeah, and it's your date of birth that really snaps you into, blocks you into the two dimensionals. Wow. <sighs> and there's that tick again, the poly ticks, the stove tick of Tavistock, tick, tick, tick. And then you bring the fire when you get emotional. Tick the box Boom. on the form. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> Okay, so uh, we got a good close-up of the TVA logo when Mobius is standing here. So I thought it'd be a good time to look at this a little closer. So I I don't have a lot to say about it. I just wanted everyone to get a glance at it. You probably do. (laughs) But there's the Lemniscate and the eight. You know, that's all there. The Lemniscate is the infinity symbol, right? It's the uh, above the head of the magician. Yeah. 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 It's also uh, like our buddy Peter Shell mentioned, it's the uh, the sand of time from a, a from an hourglass. Right. It's also um I also see uh what do they call themselves? Extinction Rebellion. 
is the new uh, save, you know, save the world from how dare you. Is that uh, still your thing? symbol is a figure eight. I don't yeah. know if they've, if they've moved on. Uh, but it also, it will be Ariadne uh, is the, uh, she's one of the, uh, she, the weaver. She, uh, she out weaved um, one of the goddesses in a competition but she also used the thread to help Dionysus get through the maze. Um, and, oh, and of course. Yeah, people the, uh, should look into the Extinction Rebellion. I'm glad you brought that up. Let me just show you what their, uh, what their protests look like. Okay. Let me get it right. pulled up. And it's got the X. It's got the X in their name too. So like they're really pl playing on the X of the extinction rebellion. This is what they look like when they're protesting. <laughs> it's very gender fluid because some of these are dudes, <laughs> but uh, to get their logo, let me here, get another image here. There's their logo. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's the hourglass, like tick, tick, tock, time's running out. Climate change is going to give you COVID. You're going to die of climate change and have a heart attack. <laughs> and, and another thing about them is like they're really into uh, bringing an ambiance of, of misery and uh, tragedy. You know, they go moping around, looking all sad and somber and moving extra slow. And they fall uh, down and play dead. Here's another image. Total, yeah. Yeah. D drama to the max, like maximized dramatists. Yes. And this yeah. is, you know, this is weaponized art. You know, they've just taken art and made it as politically uh, volatile as they possibly can. So, and then one more, you know, you take that. It's also, that like, there is also the idea of the tyrannical feminine with the Extinction Rebellion and the X as a symbol. That's so true. That's so true. Yes. So you turn that thing sideways, it becomes a mask, like a superhero mask, but it's an anti-hero because they're clearly anti-hero. <laughs> uh, no, no individual can save the planet. You got to be part of this collective if you want to make a difference. Uh, so that's kind of their, the fact that they are anti-hero uh, and it's very, uh, yeah, very anti-masculinity to the, uh, as well. So, yeah. And I don't blame people that like, you know, go out and march. They, they think they're doing it for the, the right reasons. They're just, unfortunately playing out the role of a controlled opposition, just like I alluded to with conspiracy culture, that there's, con there's, Oh, you wake up from one thing and you're into another thing. It's not like I think uh, corporations and governments are, are doing good things for the environment. <laughs> I, I just think it's a false premise to believe that life is going to ever go extinct here. Like we had some kind of power over that. It's just as dumb as nuclear bombs and the, the red button to end all life. Then that will never exist and doesn't exist. <laughs> the other thing about this uh, symbol is the Dagas rune, which refers to awakening, enlightenment, invisibility, incommunicable paradox, and non duality. 
let them march as long as they want, so long as they pay their taxes. Dylan's probably quoting some emperor there. So, yeah, I think that the uh, paradox and non-duality, invisibility, all these trickster elements are definitely in the mix with the uh, TVA and the Loki storyline, big time. And even enlightenment, in a way. Because this is like, Loki has an enlightenment experience in this episode, in a, in a sense. And thank you, and also, Jennifer, for uh, pointing Eric, out the Daga's rune. That was all her. Yeah. Uh, paradox, I I believe, also relates to um, dilemma, meaning uh, to have a pair of heads. I think it also is to be of two minds. To be in a paradox is to like be thinking of two different things at the same time. Or it's not really cognitive dissonance exactly, but it is to be of two minds, which is beneficial, but it also can be a trap uh, at the same time. That's interesting. Uh, Then we get to see the TVA in all its glory. This is the whole place. And Loki says that uh, it's not real. It's not real. There's no magic here. He tries to do his magic and in the courtroom and he's not able to. He has performance issues. <laughs> he, he didn't have the he didn't oh, get the Spanish fly he needed. Right. Performance issue. <laughs> uh, and then we see, yeah, the, the TVA, the whole city, whatever this is. And, you know, there is a paradox to this in the sense that there's no horizon. Do you see that? It's horizonless. Oh, wow. wow. So there's like back to the Dagas thing, the non-duality thing. There's no point where like, you know, there is a perspective with like a vanishing point in a, in a way, but it's not, you know, I think that they did their best. I don't know if this was intentional to create this like limitless, no uh, non-dual paradoxical looking place, right? The looks like the look of it is paradoxical. And yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, and that that's kind of what gave away the moon landing was the 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 funky horizon line was was not natural and it, it didn't sell it just didn't sell everybody. And then I got to point out this uh this grid, this rectangular grid at the feet of the triune statue is hailing back to the altar, the Ara Altair which is now that I've incorporated it into my worldview, I will not miss it going forward. But the Ara Altair is a, uh, it's in the extreme Southern hemisphere. And it's uh, basically the table that the, uh, that the Magi is using. It's a, uh, uh, yeah, that little grid square at the bottom. And the fact that there's uh, three different characters holding up, that uh, that bowl in the middle, that's another aspect of the Ara Altair, sometimes shown as having a th- uh, as a three-legged altar. So yeah, I'm seeing a lot of Ara Altair central to this uh, this art. Then when we're there, we're in the elevator here, and right front and center of the shot, you get the Tav. This is on the bottom right. I have shown some old versions of the Tav, the letter T, Tau. (laughs) 
And guess what? It's an X. <laughs> it's the hourglass symbol. That's how it used to look in the Phoenician. And remember, as I said before, the, the last letter in the old, in the, the alphabet systems was 16 letters. That was the final letter. So it's the terminus point. You know, before the idea of alpha and omega in the later Greek alphabet, it was actually alpha and tav or even bet, b and tav in the Celtic Irish alphabets. And then just in case, you know, we weren't sure that we're supposed to be thinking about T <laughs> the cross. The next, like as it zoom or uh, pans up, the other symbol that's in the middle is the theta symbol. <laughs> and guess what? The theta symbol, which is the TH in, in the uh, Phoenician is called Teth. Well, guess what? They used to draw it, and the Etruscans and Phoenicians used to draw it. Instead of a circle with a line through it, it was a circle with an X. What do you know? X marks the spot. The cross. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well played, Also, sir. sometimes the theta would be drawn as a circumpunct, like a circle with a dot in the middle. So variations of the yes. uh, same idea, the cross, the X, the T, the terminus. This is the terminus of time. You know, this is the... The end of the road, the end of the line, this is the TVA is. That's what we're being shown here with the elevator. And also, the theta is your sleep state. So the globe theta was the whole world asleep. Uh, or I like to call it the mind's dream media is the globe theta, keeping everybody asleep. Nice. It's the TAV, this terminus, the crossing point, crossing over, is basically the TVA is outside of time. It's timeless. It's the eternal present moment. It's outside of the free will choice because choices cause time. Choices are your tempora, your temporal experience. So I think I'll be, that, right, I'll be right back. I, I, I got to go make a choice. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> I can't believe I've made it this long without any choice points. So, right. The, I think that this could be, in a sense, an allusion to this thing I've been talking about recently of the that we have the possibility of putting the pause on the flow of time and experiencing the eternal present moment in whatever moment we choose. Uh, that maybe that's what the uh, TVA is about, is about concealing you know, that possibility that because we feel that like the reason we feel time is a prison and we're chained to it and all that the symbolism of Saturn cutting off Mercury's legs <laughs> is because we think we can't stop it, that it's a force acting on us. But what if we are acting on it? What if we're the generators of time? I think we are because our experience of time is dilated by our opinion of the experience we're currently having. And I personally have had a few experiences in my life where I was outside of time. And in the moment that I was at, I was in it for as long as I wanted to be in that moment and no time was passing. Hard to explain. I know. <laughs> and a couple of the times it happened, yes, psychedelics were involved, but I still had the experience. Hmm. And then we go into, I'm just going to kind of move forward. Gabe will forgive me. <laughs> we get into, uh, why is this here? Let me fix this slide. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be back any second. 
Okay, let's delete this bad boy. Here we go. So we're getting to know Mobius a little better here. And Mobius, you probably guys are familiar with the idea of a Mobius. Uh, Mobius strip, right? It's a mathematical geometric idea. And in the next slide, you'll see an illustration of the Mobius. So this is a, a line moving in a circle, but also the line is rotating. And that's basically the recipe for the Mobius strip is you have a, a line that as it extends, the plane comes off of it and you rotate it as you go. So back to Mobius, <clears throat> the character, I'm Agent Mobius. Here is, <laughs> it's a really old idea. It's not a new idea. And time was, is, kind of, is portrayed as a Mobius strip because it's infinite. That's the thing about it. If you were to, like, if you follow the path of my mouse here and you were to run across the Mobius, you would flip from one side to the other and you would, and it, it's basically a representation of the infinity symbol, but as a circle. Because it, it flows into itself perpetually and right. there's no it's end a, point. It's a, so it's considered one-sided, where if it, if it didn't have the twist, it would be two-sided. But the twist somehow makes the, both sides into one side, which is an enigma in, in and of itself. Now, there's another enigma here. Uh, sten, steganographically... Look very closely how it goes from the fish of Pisces straight into the bull and then straight into the twins. This zodiac skips Aries. And it's right at the part where his hand is, where he's manipulating time. There's actually a zodiac symbol missing from time. He goes from uh, the uh, Aquarius, the water bearer, like, okay, at the very top is the goat, then the water bearer, then two fish. There should be a ram right there, but there's not. It goes to the bull and then to the twins. So either the bull is missing or the ram is missing, but there's a missing Zodiac sign right where his hand is. So there's an enigma within an enigma wrapped in an enigma. In this picture, and this is the Aeon Godchild of the Zodiac, whose birthday is January 6th, which is a collective trauma spell. That all they got to do is say January 6th, and people Where's the lobotomize. Where, how do you, I'm just curious. How do you know that his birthday is a January 6th? Yeah. If I may. Uh, because I looked, yeah, if you look up Aeon, uh, his birthday is January 6th. And okay. this is uh this is Chansley. This oh. is Jacob Chansley. Whoa. This is Chu this is Cubaca. You're right, dude. This is <laughs> well, I mean that's from the church fathers, uh Epiphan Epiphanius, right? But still, whoa, yeah. there's the sixteen again, January sixth. Whoa. Whoa. Isn't that something? Uh, yeah, so this is the one I'm glad I checked your receipt. <laughs> I'm glad I checked your tab on that one. Isn't that fun? So the uh, 
So if, okay, so the godchild of the Zodiac is born on January 6th, that means he is inseminated right around uh, Aries, essentially around Aries uh, at the spring. He's, he was inseminated during a spring uh, fertility ritual. And then nine months later, he pops out on January 6th. This is totally chancely. Hmm. So in the Roman uh, cult, during the Roman Empire, Ion's mother or female counterpart, because as this works, you know, the mother is the mother is the father is the son. <laughs> uh, I Aeon's mother or female counterpart twin was Eternity or Eternitus. And they're both symbolized with the phoenix in Roman coins. So... <laughs> The, the the scholars talk about Aeon as being a fluid conception through which various ideas about time and divinity converge. So he's a uh, he's fluid. <laughs> and why that matters is because we see Loki listed labeled as fluid in this show and we think, oh, great, it's woke. <laughs> and it is in a sense, you know, that's one layer. But on the other layer is the uh, fact that what is being conceptualized by this show. And in fact, but allegorized by pretty much the everything superhero Gnostic Hollywood period is the, the it's the tale. It's the only story ever told. It's the tale as old as time that there's a eternal chaos. If you will, there from chaos is born the first or the protagonist firstborn of the first cause that that entity is the, the then the creator of the physical reality and time is called Kronos. It's called Eon. It's Jesus Christ. It's the son of God. It's Loki. It's Mercury. It's Hermes. All of the above. So why I think this matters is because the like in syncretism, you make the case that this Dionysus Hermes Mercury character is is also Kronos, you know, like that's what Loki, I don't think understands. And may, maybe we'll get there in the show. Maybe we, we won't. I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised, you know, in this, that Loki takes over the TVA <laughs> because he's actually Kronos. He's the, you know, it's a cyclical thing. He's a, like a Phoenix. He's, he has a son and that son takes over and kills him and it goes on and on. But that's the cycle that's in the mythos. So I, I better keep going, but Mobius, uh, this character Mobius is interesting and the Mobius strip is interesting and all of this is interesting and we'll, we'll return to these ideas in later episodes of the show. Hold on, on, Chance, go back. I want to, I want to see a couple more things. So we're dealing with the Mobius strip, which is a coil and the word Loki is an anagram for coil. Uh, K-O-I-L is also an and uh a morbius a mobius strip and i've been finding the r altair constellation particularly around dionysian characters but it's in art and it's generally in the negative space this is a pattern i found in many other uh murals but look at the negative shape under his armpit it's got that weird little shape to it and now look at the shape under this guy's armpit See if I can get my finger on it. Thank you. Yes. That, where am I? 
this little negative yellow space right here is in the shape of our Altair. And I have found it many times over in many different forms of art. But go back to the uh, to the Aeon character. He has it under his arm as well. It's a little off. It's close. It's really close. But the thing is, I looked up the word influence. And the word influence, uh, one of its many, many descriptions, is underhanded. This is underhandedness. And so now I have another synonym for the influence, the alter mind altering substances, people who are going to alter your decision making, they're going to influence your decision making, they're going to be underhanded about it. And so now I'm finding this other pattern to the Aura Altair constellation. I think I'm seeing it again here, that there's a that there's an alteration. He's altering time because he's changed the the flow of the order of the zodiac. So yeah, this uh this strange altar under arms is popping up again and I'm starting to smell it that I can see it and I get a whiff that the artist is telling us about some alteration has happened and it is in what has changed that we should extract the most information. So yeah, what makes the Mobius the Mobius is the uh, the twist. <laughs> it's all about the twist. Okay, I gotta also go. Uh, be right back. <laughs> See you in a second. All right, right on, right on. So, uh, right here is time. Theta, and there's the theta again. Um, which is the signal, the symbol for sleep. Um, but I'm starting to think of this theta, the sleep, the shared dream that we're all participating in when we go to the theater to go into a passive state so we can receive entrainment uh, and allow somebody else to drive the ship of perception. We are also in a communion. We're all partaking of a offering, a um, a body of work. We're taking partaking of a body of somebody's labor. Um, uh, but what Chance and I like to do is take apart <laughs> that body of work and look at all of the ingredients that went into the mixing bowl. But here again, we have the time and the theta. Uh, uh, at a point of initiation, no less. Oh, and then there's pretend. Yeah, it's at a threshold theater. again. Again, yes. And that's another thing about theater is one of the it's one of the few things that you pay in advance before you even get to sample the goods. It's sight unseen. It's one of the few things that we pay for in advance. Another thing we pay for in advance, we pretend so that you can have car insurance. So you pay uh, in advance in a, in uh, that's one oh, of the, man. yeah. Paying in advance is pretending. Tricks. So true. It's pretending. also the whole idea of a time theater is alluding to back to the determinism versus free will is that uh, again, if you have your worldview dictated to you, and you believe things can be done to you, that life is happening to you and you're not happening to life, 
you are in the movie version of life. You're on their sacred timeline. You're a passive watcher. You know, like they, they claim to be the watchers, but they're, you know, we project like, oh, the watchers are doing it to us. Well, are you just a watcher? Are you a passive watcher of the movie version of life? Or are you the author? You know, are you in the time theater <laughs> or are you writing your own story? All Writing your own story, like, you know, ride the dragon, that whole thing, tame, taming the time dragon. All of that so is true. Mix. So true. <laughs> and Loki, then uh, he's like, I refuse to believe that, you know, all of existence is controlled by three, the behest of three space lizards. I had to just throw in uh Crocodilus Pontifex, the uh, space Pope from Futurama. Cause it's my favorite ver It's my favorite Pope of all time. The future Pope. Okay. Let me find where I'm at in my notes. Yeah. Reptilians. Uh, and then this is interesting. Just, I don't know why I decided to throw this in, but it's a frame from Thor issue. What issue is it? 245 where he's talking to the timekeepers or no, this is he who remains. Sorry. And he who remains is not the same as Kang, I don't think, in the comics. But anyway, he says, this is the guy who is actually, you know, he, it's the one being that the three resolve into, right? He's behind the timekeepers or created the timekeepers. He says, as I intended, now you will listen as I explain. You see, Stripling, back to the tree symbolism. He's a stripling off the tree. He's a variant, right? He's a tree symbolism. Arborism, arborism metaphors are huge in all this. Time is but a circle. From the ashes of the final Holocaust, the universe will begin anew. Those who sleep are our gift to the future. Three beings who are knowledge incarnate wisdom and will teach those of the next cycle to avoid the errors we made. So what they're saying here, what's being said here in this comic is, first of all, I think that the, uh, you know, the genociders and burning down the forest governors of this realm have a belief, like the, pre, the occult priest class, the dark sorcerer priest class, have a belief that if they destroy everything that will cause everything to be regenerated and start over in a perfected state because they think it's cyclical. And I've talked about this before, <laughs> very choice words, final Holocaust because Holocaust means burnt offering as in a sacrifice. And I think that, I don't know. I think that maybe part of why stuff is left in stone is like the pyramids and statues that you know things have been left behind from the old world were meant to teach people in the future iterations of the cycle wisdom so that you know they don't have to corrupt their cycle because the thing about corruption is like when certain things die when certain things are gone at least in your timeline where you're at in the story they're gone you know it's not coming back while you're here it might come back eventually. It might be, you know, from dust to dust. So it will have the record of, of what was lost and someday it will reemerge. Re but I think this is a very big point of the, uh, the esoteric or the mystery school doctrine is that 
if it's, if you can burn it all down, <laughs> it will all come back or that eventually it all comes back after it of its own accord burns down. But I think that there are people who are trying to accelerate that process to corrupt the world enough that the savior is forced to return or come. I think that's a big part of it. Now, I took this shot because it's just interesting to see the brutalism architecture style. <laughs> That's what I would call this brutalist. It's a whole thing from uh, the modern modernism, brutalism, right? Let me get it brighter. Yeah, but <laughs> cool shots, though, that they got out of all this. And <laughs> oh, this is great. So in it's hard to see here, but I got a picture of it. Mobius in this interrogation psychoanalysis scene here, Mobius is saying or drinking. Uh, there's a can of Josta, which was a soft drink that was produced by Pepsi and the first energy drink ever introduced by a major U.S. soda company. It was marketed as a high energy drink with guarana and caffeine. Josta used the slogan. Better do the good stuff now. <laughs> In a commercial for Josta, an old man speaks to a younger man. The older man tells the younger man about his life as a youth and how he wished he had more fun. You want to know the funny thing, though, is that Guarana is an aphrodisiac. So we're getting the aphrodisiac symbolism again. You know, we're getting Loki in the mood. <laughs> or Mobius is getting in the mood. Whatever you want to say. So... I'd never heard of this soda, but I guess it was a thing, I think, in the 90s, and it was very short-lived. Sounds gross. Yeah, that makes it goes along again with the coffee thing, too. Uh, uh, making somebody uh, prone to saying yes, greasing the wheels. Mm. Uh, a lubricious person is quick to say yes, and caffeine <laughs> definitely does that. <laughs> okay so now we're getting into a scene of psychoanalysis where mobius is asking loki questions showing him parts of his uh his backstory on a holograph or a hologram projector so we're starting this is where we start to under get into you know showing how loki was uh doing gamma male behavior right so loki says to Mobius, the first and most oppressive lie ever uttered was the song of freedom. So this is very ironic because he's now coming to realize he's existed in a predetermined singular universe, the sacred timeline. <laughs> he says to Mobius, for nearly every living thing, choice breeds shame, uncertainty, and regret. This is, I think, uh, you know, a justification, psychological justification for controlling people, for the sheep herders, the shepherds. Mobius says to him, you're a big metaphor guy. Makes you sound super smart. <laughs> and that that's another nod to the fact that, like, you know, the, the intelligent communicator does allegory and symbolism to get the point across. Parables, right? It's a uh, that's this. That's how Jesus spoke. Jesus is a mercurial figure. And Loki's like, I am smart. <laughs> but the uh, the part of like, I'm, if you guys aren't super familiar with the social sexual hierarchy, I wouldn't call myself like a, a master of it. But for males, what makes the, the gamma, 
what drives the gamma male, which is like the villainous type, the rapey type, right, is wanting to be recognized for being smart and special. <laughs> and this applies to most villains in because uh, it's an inferiority complex when you come down to it. It's an inferiority complex that most villains in comic book tropes have this thing of they're just doing whatever they can to get power and to rule but they would never know what to do with it if they actually caught the car they were chasing. <laughs> I can't remember the where I read this. I think it was in Chris Knoll's new book. So I don't have the receipt on it. I, I would like to know. I look, tried to look for it. But supposedly there's a famous quote from one of the Roman emperors along the lines of, if anyone is trying to like assassinate me and replace me, you want to give them a good psychological evaluation, you know, because you'd have to be crazy to want to do this job <laughs> because that's the thing that the, uh, the gamma doesn't understand is that about freedom is that it's responsibility. We'll get to that a little more, but there's this really funny scene that Mobius replays for him where he is, uh, it's revealed that Loki was DB Cooper. Do you know about, have you heard of DB Cooper before um, this? Yeah, this is the the most successful bank heist ever where he jumps out of the plane. Yeah, exactly. I'll read from the wiki about D.B. Cooper. That's a great. It's a, it's a good one. D.B. Cooper is a media epithet for an unidentified man who hijacked Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 305 in 1971. During the flight, he told a flight attendant that he had a bomb and demanded $200,000 in ransom and four parachutes. And they landed in Seattle. They brought him the money in the plane and he released the passengers, but he made the flight crew refuel and stay on the aircraft and get and start flying to Mexico City. And after they take off, he parachute, he jumps out of the plane and parachutes away and he was never found or identified. Uh, they found a small portion of the ransom money along the banks of the Columbia River. The FBI thinks that he didn't survive the parachuting. But anyway, the hijacker identified himself as Dan Cooper, but a reporter confused his name with another suspect, and the hijacker became D.B. Cooper. But it, it's a, it's definitely fun uh, to bring that in because it's like, you know, it's the only unsolved case of air piracy <laughs> that's ever been. Whoa. I just dig that. Also, the D.B. Cooper thing calls us back to the 70s. Um, you know, again, the 70s decor in the TVA is a big deal. The 70s is and that decor is, I think, alluding to the time period where TV, the TVA is taking over people's worldview very powerfully. Color is starting to come into the picture, the color of law, coloring people's perceptions, right? And specifically, this is one of those cases early on that was highly publicized, whether or not it really happened or happened as described, and inserting the meme of a hijacker on a plane with a bomb. So there's definitely like TVA narrative control setting you up to, because remember, Seeds were planted for 9-11 and hijacking all the way back in 1968. And three years later, you have the D.B. Cooper case. I personally do think that this is uh, very likely to be a controlled narrative 
to insert the idea yeah, of the hijacker and the bomb into public consciousness to bring about 9-11. I mean, especially yeah. because you have D.B. Cooper in this episode and all the way back in the establishing shot, what did we have? 9-11. <laughs> it yeah, was definitely yeah, a 9-11 uh, reference there. And and this DB Cooper spell it oh go uh, go back I need those uh, some of those stats it inseminates the idea that money's just going to fall out of the sky so of course it's incredibly appealing to to channel this this story but buddy I'm seeing uh, prime numbers popping out everywhere uh, seven twenty seven is the one hundred and thirty eighth prime number 138 138th prime number um 971 is too much Gabe. we gotta we gotta get away from the numbers yeah, these, and just go forward <laughs> sorry well they're all prime they're all prime numbers which is telling me that this is a this is a riddle for people who are highly intelligent who are going to get triggered by prime numbers yeah but there's like all, prime time and baby. Then 500 and 503 is a prime number which is right on an axis with 727 like the prime numbers are actually drawing a shape in the list of prime numbers yeah so there's there's a lot more going on than what just beats the eye for sure oh moonlander crushing it uh if i recall correctly twin peaks agent dale cooper's middle initial is b that's great because actually you know he looks like (laughs) he looks like cooper from twin peaks a little bit that show that show deserves some demystifying. Holy shit. That's some good stuff right there. Okay. So then back to the interrogation yeah, psychoanalysis. Uh, and then Bill Cooper. Bill Cooper's uh, Behold a Pale Horse is an a acronym for BAF for Baphomet. And it's got a hidden hand under the horse's ass on his on his uh, book cover. So yeah, the Cooper is totally cypherific. All cipher. <laughs> uh, okay. Here's Mobius. He's telling, he's telling Loki, I want you to be honest about why you do what you do. You know, he's asking him questions like, do you enjoy hurting people? But this is actually really great from Mobius in terms of the character development, because if someone who's doing gamma behavior can be honest about why they're behaving that way, Instead of being in victim consciousness and doing it, saying they're doing it because somebody else, because of them, it's their fault. They can actually reform and become deltas or bravos, you know, people that actually contribute to society. that can be part of a team that don't tear others down out of an inferiority complex because you can't support. You cannot play a role that supports others in any way synergistically if you feel this inferiority thing that is the trademark of the gamma. (laughs) So he's like, what makes Loki tick? You know, and that tick is obviously a reference to time. And it makes you think about how there's tick tock with time, but also ticks are repetitive, unconscious behavior indicative of psychological disturbance. So in a way it's like his gamma outbursts are a tick in a sense. And they're part of what's keeping him on this that kept him on this path of the sacred timeline that like leads to his uh leads to his death and inevitable downfall. Then this is a really big line right here. Loki says to Mobius, I know what this place is. 
It's a cruel, elaborate trick conjured by the weak to inspire fear. A desperate attempt at control. Now you, per- now you all parade about as if you're the divine arbiters of power in the universe. <laughs> so this quote, a cruel, elaborate trick and conjured by the weak to inspire fear, a desperate attempt at control, parading as the divine arbiters of power in the universe. This explains the entire TVA, I mean TV, control of people's worldview. It's a desperate illusion to convey the idea that someone is in control. Right. I mean, that's that's what government is, a desperate illusion to convey the idea that someone is in control. (laughs) We'll talk more about why, why the timeline manipulation and TV goes on. And Loki sees his, uh, you know, replaying of his moment of triumph, you know, doing his Hitler thing, standing over the kneeling German people in the Avengers movie. And he says, you know, he tells them about how the bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy. You were born to be ruled, blah, blah, blah. Well, freedom, true freedom requires responsibility. That is what gives you freedom. And the slave mentality or the gamma mentality is that responsibility is suffering. So he's telling them freedom causes you suffering, diminishes your joy. And the joy that he's alluding to is the joy of mindlessness. The ignorance is bliss consuming and obeying thing and what he doesn't understand yet is that he would actually have freedom if he took personal responsibility he doesn't he thinks that personal responsibility is the suffering that he doesn't want so he wants to rule in the sense of i have no responsibility everybody else owes me i'm on the verge of acquiring everything i'm owed he says so this is the entitlement mindset this is what's being inculcated into the woke crowd into society at large because the entitlement mindset is the victim mindset it's the same mindset absolutely the same mindset then we see uh you know his mom his he sees his mom and him he's being shown the no, he's not being shown the future yet, is he? Yeah, he's being shown the future. How uh, if he had stayed on the timeline to be arrested or taken to Asgard and his mom was going to die because of him, because of him trying to get one over on Thor, get revenge on Thor. Uh, it, it, <laughs> he asked his mom in this replay of a future that hasn't happened to him if she's proud of him or did I make you proud? And, you know, one thing is that about about people who do gamma male behavior and you know the gender fluid bisexual homosexual males they have they often overly identify with their mothers and have bad relationships with their dads but this is especially true in jewish culture actually you know who controls the tvs who controls a lot of the government they uh <laughs> it's all They have pretty harsh moms. Like it's a cultural thing, you know, like, oh, they're always being measured up by their mom and like trying to make their mom proud. It's just a stereotype. I'm not saying it's all of all people, but, you know, you get it. It's a definite stereotype. I'm seeing a lot of uh, the adjustment card right here. She has her hands together. Her elbows are even. Much like the scales of the adjustment card, all these diamond shapes, 
in the lighting are aspects of the adjustment card. And then Loki, he's in chains here. And the adjustment card is has the balancing uh, chains. And um, uh, the Thoth deck adjustment card, for me, brings Jean-Jacques Rousseau to light right away. And his opening lines of one of his uh, most famous works is, man is born free, but everywhere he is in chains. Those who would presume to be the boss of somebody else are, in fact, more slaves themselves. Uh, so, yeah, that's very likely also intrinsic to the scene and the sense of adjustment, a sense of justice and adjusting uh, what is right and wrong. Dylan says, Gamma consciousness is the end result of not overcoming obstacles or challenges to produce results. It can happen to anyone, which is why getting out of victim consciousness is crucial, critical. And yeah, you just fast forwarded the the lesson of the character development in this episode. Um, she says to him, "Every always so perceptive about everyone but yourself." That's pretty much it, because that's the projection mentality. You know, <laughs> what you judge most in others is probably what you hate about yourself, on, and you're unconscious about because you won't face it. And uh, Mobius says, "You were born to be king, Loki." even though he wants to be the king of space, king of the universe. <laughs> you were born to cause pain, suffering, and death. Also, others can achieve the best versions of themselves. That's a heavy statement, man. This is the mercurial figure who brings good to evil and evil to good. And that's actually the purpose of gammas, evil, darkness, the controllers, archons, you know, history manipulators. This is what is so important. Like if, if you've been with us this whole episode, <laughs> we're talking about timeline manipulation and gammas and all that. They have a glorious purpose, brothers and sisters. <laughs> they are there to give you the obstacle or challenge to overcome, to produce the results of your free will, the fruits of your labor. You are not a victim to them. They are there to serve you. They are there to sharpen your sword of intellect. They're there to sharpen your wits. They're there to strengthen your muscles. They're there to show you what you need to change about yourself to become a better version of yourself. That's the whole point. <laughs> That's why it's allowed. That's why it's part of this reality or this existence. So never, ever, ever blame any they's or any them's for your problems because you're believing your own lie because ultimately it came from you first <laughs> it all starts within that's what the timeline manipulation is about that's what historical narrative manipulation is about i feel like i could mic drop on that and that could be the end of this but <laughs> there's a little bit more fun things in this episode uh the door opens suddenly and then the and the mobius is helping loki up so he uh pickpockets him at that point mobius had this collar around his neck this whole time called the time twister that allowed him to rewind Loki back to previous moments. So he could basically stop him from escaping or doing any violence, but Loki pickpockets it. Mobius leaves the room and Loki leaves the room. Cause he's no longer on the chain. He's off the leash. Uh, <clears throat> now we get shown a scene of a hallway with some TVA employees and I should brighten this up, but it's good enough. You see the tidy timeline equals stable society. 
this is the reason for controlling and altering the, the historical narrative and the manipulating the timeline, so to speak, because if people knew their true history and by true history, I mean who they really are, that their free will is actually the grounds of their existence. Their free will is the essence of their being that no one can do it to them, that their ancestors were great, that they built things, that they were independent. If they knew then society, this version of society would crumble. The sacred timeline would fall apart. If people knew, you know, if there was more, if there was alternate views of history that were widespread, people all knew their own history. Right? So this is the key, not to mention the arborism metaphors here are so important overall. Like they call the alternate timelines that split off branches <laughs> that have to be pruned. That's a gardening, you know, reference. But what we haven't said yet is the savior or Loki in this sense, the mercurial figure is Loki is logos. It's CG or CK or KG interchange Loki logo. And that being, we talked about ion, you know, the firstborn, the, the demiurge, if you will, of, <laughs> okay. He's the trunk of the tree, the tree of life, the world tree. And all the branches and limbs, limbs and branches and buds and flowers and leaves, those are all growing off of, of the logos, or the firstborn. So <laughs> that's like, that's the symbolism here of the arborism metaphors that there's one life and yeah, I don't, I'll, I'm going to leave it there. You guys are getting it, right? Everyone's getting it. There's one life and we're all branches off of that one life. That's uh, there's one consciousness with many points of peep, many peep holes onto itself. Many people. I'm, I know I'm going fast, but we're almost at four hours. So and let, if you get something that's just too good, then please jump in. <laughs> I know it's going to be going to be over four hours. It's all right. Uh, Loki gets to the uh, offices. He sees this worker and he's like, give me my, my Tesseract hypercube back or I'll gut you like a fish. And the guy's like, what's a fish? Because the bureaucracy class living their whole life behind a desk. They ironically have no knowledge of the nature that they are, you know, of the world that they're supposedly in control of. Very funny moment. Uh, opens the drawer to show his, uh, you know, to give Loki this Tesseract, the hypercube. And in the drawer, you got all these, all these things in the drawer. They're artifacts of the variants. Uh, Can't help but notice like the cross, like war medal. There's a crucifix. So we got two crosses in there in case we weren't sure that that symbolism mattered. It, it it matters. <laughs> and I don't know that it's, oh, there's a coil, like a free energy device, like a coil around a circle. Loki is an anagram for coil. That's right here. This drawer could be analyzed for nice. a long time. Nice. The, uh, it totally <laughs> could. I see, uh, the stones of the, uh, all the precious stones of the breastplate of the ephod. Exactly. So if you were going to build a, if you're going to build a sacred breastplate 
which has the word rest in the word breastplate, having everything to do with eclipse magics. There's also, uh, I just see uh, some sort of like plastic orange cross-section of an orange or a citrus plant, which is, uh, uh, for me, it brings forward the Wheel of Fortune card. This is a drawer full of fortunes and treasures, but that Wheel of Fortune card in the Thoth deck, it's a lemon. It's a cross-section of a lemon, but it also has to do with the liminal space. Uh, which will come up later in the story. This this whole drawer has like tons of foreshadowing is what I think of. It's like little tiny nuggets that eventually expand out and will explode into full bloom revelations. Uh, yeah. Even the, I've also heard allegations that this is a tape box right here and that, and I can't, I can't make it out, but there are claims on the internet that, if you zoom in on this tab on the tape box, that it's the something about the Watergate hotel, like that. These are the Watergate recordings. Funny. Very funny. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I like, could, like I as if totally that's a moment that's of, what they're getting at. yeah, that's a, a moment of controlling the narrative, right? Like that was supposed to happen. Right. I guess, you know, we were supposed to find right. out about Nixon and Watergate. It wasn't, an accident. I think that's what we're being told about that. Yep. If that's true, I can't prove it. I don't know if that's it. That. Uh, there, there's so much in here that they're like flooding the zone with all the things you wish you could. Do. Uh, this is almost like if you could go back in time and change one thing in this picture is like a million little potential things that you could go back and alter history if you had just put this one gem in this one place and lined up everything to make sense of it yeah wow a a whole lot of fascinating trinket right there like what would history be if the you know christianity wasn't there what would history be if you took out the nazis (laughs) what would history be all these different things um and there's also a poker chip here right if 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 you could convince men not to kill each other for trinkets (laughs) <laughs> totally yep they're tokenizing uh artifacts of history um so loki realizes that even the infinity stones are worthless to the tva and he's kind of in awe it's like whoa and he asks is this the greatest power in the universe <laughs> the tav is the is the tau the greatest power in the universe is chronos the greatest power in the universe so he goes back to his cell. He realizes he's got nothing. You know, there's nothing he can do. He's basically, he's humbled. <laughs> he's absolutely humbled. He realized, he realized finally, once and for all, I'm actually not the special boy. <laughs> it's tough, but he did it. Good for him. And he goes and fast forwards his tape of his uh, future on the time, sacred timeline. So he gets his father's approval in, in the future. He gets his brother's approval. So his, he, he experiences all the catharsis that he was going to experience in the Marvel movies if he had continued existing. Um, and then he gets killed by Thanos. He witnesses his future death. And then it says, end of file. Notice that file is an anagram for life. End of file, end of life. What's up with that? 
<laughs> um, then the agent B15 comes to try to wipe him out. And he does his tricky, like now that he's, uh, now that he's had his catharsis, now that he's realized his, the errors of his ways, right? Stop being so villainous. He's got his mojo back. He's now got his aphrodisiac is kicked in <laughs> because this is the, he counters her in the desert originally. And here she is again. And she's coming to repeat the time. You know, there's like a time loop happening where she's going to whack him with her time stick, right? Like history repeating. And he breaks the pattern. He breaks out of the pattern. He throws the collar on her and he starts torturing her with the time device. <laughs> I ha also had kind of noticed that the uh, the terminal where the time tape is being played looks like a mushroom. You know, it's very much like the old Roman uh, clergy, the flamens, and even the modern Vatican will wear like this white with red on top robes. So that's a big part of it. Uh, totally. Yeah, I got to figure out what it means about the red sashes. I mean, the idea of the watchers is being explained right here, big time. Look, always watching on this poster. The red sashes kind of remind me of like serpentine, flaming serpents, you know, red serpents. I don't know, though. Maybe stretching there. Now, Loki has his cathartic moment where Mobius comes back. And he says, I don't enjoy, actually, I don't enjoy hurting people. I do it because I've had to. It's part of the illusion. It's the cruel, elaborate trick conjured by the weak to inspire fear. And then Mobius says, a desperate play for control. You do know yourself. And then Loki says, a villain. And then Mobius says, that's not how I see it. So he's had his moment of know thyself big time. <clears throat> then oh interesting Dylan says the assassins in Assassin's Creed are recognized by their red sashes mm. we got to dig into that one more Gabe we got time for that the hidden ones is what they're called in Assassin's Creed there could be maybe both of those series are alluding to something that we're, we're currently missing but we're going we're gonna to track it down <laughs> uh, so Mobius now reveals to Loki the reason why they're even talking is because Mobius is hunting a fugitive Loki variant. And now that Loki knows himself, he'll be able to reveal the tricks and the illusions of the other one and be actually helpful instead of gamma nightmare. Then we get taken to um, Selena or Oklahoma, 1858. Uh, I don't know exactly why they picked this location other than it's interesting that it's just down river from Disney, Oklahoma, just up the Creek is Disney, Oklahoma. Don't know. Um, it's currently part of the Cherokee reservation, Cherokee nation. But I do think probably they picked this location because Celine is the moon. So we're again, foreshadowing the secretive nature of this variant Loki that she is a reflection. She's the lunar reflection of his solar, you know, maleness. I think that's probably why we're getting, uh, you know, Selena. Selene is a, a name for a moon goddess. Probably that's what it is. She's the, she's the moon to his son, right? In an alchemical sense. 
Then we get the theta symbol showing up again. There it is again. <laughs> this is said to be an anachronistic item. So they come to this site because there's an item from the wrong millennia here. It's from like the year 3000. So the timekeepers or uh, the Minutemen have to prune the site. What, what this is telling you is that if archaeology finds something that doesn't fit the academic narrative, the sacred timeline, then that site or the items that were found are covered up or destroyed. That's what the Smithsonian is all about. <laughs> so they're letting you know that one. Uh, yeah. Well, Walter Bosley has a, a, a tentative weave out there about the Smithsonian being rooted in um, uh, Napoleon in the actual story of Napoleon. We know that his brother was actually sent into exile and punished for Napoleon's deeds. And the, and the true Napoleon was lost to obscurity in history. But Walter Bosley thinks he married into certain families that went on to start the Smithsonian. And so uh, there's a huge potentiality of, you know, America being Egypt, Napoleon conquering Egypt, actually being the story of the French uh, kind of uh, doubling back on the covenants that they had made with the tribes here in this land mm. and then selling it for manifest destiny. Well, they're yeah, about to put uh, out a TAV or TVA control the narrative. Here's the story we want you to know about Napoleon movie, you know. Yes, yes, that is that is going to be so full of bullshit. It, it's so Some people suspect. even think Napoleon uh, is just a made up in, individual altogether. Yeah, I'm inclined to think that there were probably four or five Napoleons doing different war campaigns in different places. They just had to tell all the guys in those areas, look out, Napoleon's up on the, over around the hill right there. You better stay in line. <laughs> yeah, I think he was just a an institution more than a person. Hmm. Uh, so she, the uh, the variant, you know, we don't see her face yet, but she has laid a booby trap for these time cops and she burns them up. They've been burned alive. They're dead. Eh, roll credits. <laughs> uh, she's in the black robe figure. You know, the black robe figure is always an interesting symbolism. Uh, the few more things that I wanted to point out were the things I saw in the end credits. So here's the coffee ring right this is shows up a lot in the end credits this is the tva chrono monitor handbook this is something we're going to get into more in the future episodes the tva handbook but jenny and i don't think future episodes may not take four hours per episode probably we had to set up a lot of pins to knock down tonight we'll see i had fun though um, but Jenny pointed out that like, what was the Bible in the seventies? It was the TV guide, <laughs> right? So this is the, the TVA guide book, <laughs> TV guide. I've I can't, that's totally on point. Totally good point. Uh, then you see this, is this an Enneagram? It's the nine is missing. I wanted to know what you made of this. There's definitely a vortex math thing going on on the bottom left, but there's this uh, yeah. starved David missing the nine, you know, octo octoad symbol here. I have no idea, but it's got, you know, it's got the two Chevron shapes facing each other. 
I don't know. We we need some uh, autists in the audience yeah. to examine this symbol here and tell us what you get out of it. <laughs> the N equals six, K equals three. Yeah, man. Yeah. What? What's up? What's up with that? Yeah, it's got well they uh, that the two chevrons pointing at each other is called the una un well, no excuse me mono oh right it's a thelemic symbol unicursive hex that's a unicursive hexagram thank you unicursal hexagram. hexagram so it's a six pointed hexagram that you can, yep that you can yep and then also uh you're quite because right the one at the bottom hexagram, there, the, pink label. It's the, the only way you can draw a six-pointed star to, that you can do with a continuous line like without picking up your pen or crossing right. the same line yep. twice yeah and it's also in uh the uh american magicians society as a a similar shape that comes from the old Proto-Hebrew symbol for Tav, again, or Teth. The Proto-Hebrew symbol for Teth also kind of has the universal hexagram somewhat encoded into it. And then that pink slip at the bottom is correspondent to the 369, but it is from its musical incarnation. Uh, when you see it making this W shape, these polka dots that make out a W, that's telling you that it's they're being uh, musical. They're using its musical value, um, which is highlighted by the shape of that uh, Tesla 369 uh, cipher, which is a little bit different. The musical aspect functions differently. It's... it's uh, frequency and vibration but it's a different way to use the same cipher than what i do with the enneagram so the enneagram makes a different shape out of these relationship of the numbers um and that i think is important actually i think that um people who are mathematically oriented thinkers i think they resonate to when the enneagram is used sonically but people who are heart centered, people who are more feeling based, they respond to what I do with the Enneagram, which is more personality, interpersonal intelligence is something that the Enneagram that I use is more oriented towards. So the personality profile is feeling oriented, it's interpersonal, but the mathematical aspect of the Enneagram gives it another fractal value. And that's what they're highlighting here on this image. And those are just two different ways of using the very same orientation. And even to the extent that it's almost like one person can't even see what the other person is using out of the same system. And that's something that I'm getting a little bit better at is understanding that, oh, this is why thought-oriented people just don't see eye to eye with feeling oriented people. It's because they're looking at the same thing and getting two totally different um, potentialities out of what they're looking at. So yeah. the Yeah. I think this is a difference between the threes and the sixes. Six personalities are very mathematical. Three personalities are very feel oriented. 
And so it's almost like they would see patterns uh, in two totally different ways. Oh, snap. Oh, you're muted. You're muted, Chance. I can't uh, hear you. Thank there. you, buddy. So uh, last couple interesting still images from the credits. There's this book that looks a lot like how old Bibles had their chapters marked, right? These little tabs cut out like in a half circle. Uh, but there is no book of the Bible that begins with A-T-L-A. But that is the first four letters of Atlantis. I have no idea what this book is supposed to be. But are we supposed to be thinking about Atlantis? Is that part of the, you know, subversion of history? I don't know. Is that in the mix? That's a question. And then there's this slide where it's an apocalyptic event report is the title of this uh, piece of bureaucratic, you know, documentation, which... <clears throat> Apocalypses are events where the truth comes out. You know, apocalypse means revealing. Uh, that's something we'll talk about more in a future episode, though. It becomes relevant in future episodes. And for that, you know, if you like this, if you want us to keep going on this subject, uh, Super Chat Gabe at Slick Dissident on Cash App. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll know that you want us to do more of this. I'm in currently intending to do more of this because I'm enjoying this show. Uh, maybe it won't be four-hour streams for future breakdowns. I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard not to do four hours, though. Like What I like about these uh, is not because I just want to sit here and talk about comic books It's because or comic book movies and TV shows. It's because they become a springboard off which we can vault into discussions of various keys to the esoteric world that, you know, having the allegorical example in the form of the fiction in front of you helps you understand it because it's like memory works on links in a chain. So if you can, there's an advantage to this comic booky stuff is that if you can correlate some of these comic book characters or storylines with aspects of the esoteric doctrines, you will remember them more easily because there's more links to their to them in your, you know, memory chains. And I appreciate that about it. I hope you guys enjoy this. Also, these are being projected into the minds of the masses, <laughs> Dylan says. So good to, uh, you know, as I say all the time, psychic self-defense is symbolic literacy. So know what you're looking at. Bring us, you know, what you see in it that we didn't see especially with some of these like symbols and images that I just showed at the end. If you guys want to look into those more deeply, I'd appreciate it. And with that, we're going to wrap. Thanks for hanging out with me tonight. Gabe. Oh, yeah, brother. We'll do it again. Absolutely. Soon. My friend, my pleasure. Every time, All right. every time. Good night, everybody. Oh, man, before I hit the red button, Peter Shell, huge super chat. Thanks, buddy. You just paid for everybody to uh, watch this. Thank you so much, man. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>